Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Mary Rose. We have decided to convene again because we all just don't have any other hobbies or anything better to do, or in John's case in Atlanta, are not allowed out of the house or the office. Uh, John is with us, so is Stone Cold Steve Austin, his little uh, political advisor on his shoulder there. John, how is Atlanta? How is Trump land? uh, Trump land is as clusterfuck of crazy as it ever was um and uh we've got the perfect storm of an election year covid boredom and people not really knowing if they can go to school so uh you know anything can happen this year but your son is liking it because he only has to basically sit up on the sofa to attend school right yeah, he just rolls out of bed, goes over to his computer, and I think he's got one of those fake backgrounds of himself just sort of nodding along with the teacher <laughs> while he uh, plays video games and sleeps. Brilliant. Uh, Kit is with us as well. Kit is currently in Germany. Kit's basically uh, running around Europe, dodging corona restrictions <laughs> as best he can. Uh, so you have done, what have you done? Switzerland, which was massively overpriced. No, I started off in France. I was in Paris, and then that had a massive corona outbreak, so I went to Strasbourg. And then France was shut down, and so 24 hours before that, I ran to Switzerland, which was really expensive, and now I'm in Germany. And you're running to Austria? I'm running to Austria. But we're more interested in the journey of your severed head, because since we last got together, right, your mum got freaked out by it, so covered it up because she couldn't bear it looking at her anymore. And what's happened to it just lately? Yeah, my mum put a pillowcase on it to try and stop it looking at it. And um, and my, my nieces went around to my mum's house, found this strange thing under a pillowcase, and have been running around with it uh, around the streets of Southampton on a stick and putting it on and things like that. So, strange journeys. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Holmes has had a birthday. Happy birthday, Holmes. Thank you. had a birthday as well. Happy birthday, Diane. Uh, what's on the wall today? Pork scratchings? No, it's bacon fries today. I think, um, yeah, they, they could be the last ones, which feels a bit of a shame. End of an era and all that. But, you well, know. There's still quite a few left. Yeah, well, yeah. I've I got some new scales this week that are quite hard to cheat. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what matters. Uh, and we also have Andy Brockman with us today. Uh, we couldn't do conspiracy theories for obvious reasons without him being here. Um, you'll find out why if you don't know who he is. How are you doing, Andy? Very good, thanks. Hi, everybody. Oh, Johnny, what was for dinner? Rump steak, new potatoes, salad. Very nice indeed. <laughs> I love how middle class you are. It's brilliant. How's life? 
Yeah, cracking, mate. Cracking. Well, you know, I've, I've been sitting and looking out of the dining room window for the last six months working uh, at home. But, you know. Trying it's... to elicit more than two syllables a time out of your prematurely teenage daughter. Uh, yeah, that's when she's out of bed. I mean, you know, midday-ish. <laughs> Charlotte's with us in Bedford. Charlotte, hello. You've been working hard because we're recording tomorrow on Marilyn Monroe, aren't we? Yes, I've been immersed in the world of Marilyn. Very glamorous. It's very sad. So, uh, yeah, tune into that one. I think it's going to be fun. We'll have a nice chat. Brilliant. I've got you two massive jars of pistachio cream from Sicily. <gasps> oh, and my goodness. I love a you. present from where they filmed The Godfather as well. So, next time I see you. Oh, what? This is the best day ever. Oh, speaking of food, though, Lockie, oh, no one cares how you are or what you've been up to. Today, you decided to make pina colada and try and turn it into ice lollies. Did it work? Uh, no, I still need to blitz this up. So when we have a drinks break, I'll, I'll head to the kitchen. I'll, I'll chuck this all in the blender and we'll see how it goes. I, I, I did, I've got coconut milk in kind of, they're in my Millennium Falcon ice moulds because they were the only ones I had spare. So I'm going to have a, a bit of an imperial chuckle as I chuck it in the blitzer and watch the Millennium Falcon fly into a bajillion pieces. Brilliant. I love that I recorded with your girlfriend this morning and uh, she put a post up, she put a picture of the moulds and just said, I left the house for five minutes. <laughs> it's probably more coherent than me as well. Actually. Yeah, James, we're about to hey, go Alex. into lockdown. You do realise it's nothing to do with COVID, it's because nobody likes Birmingham, right? <laughs> uh, very funny, very funny. No, it's just uh, taking things day by day here, really. Um, Ended up watching all the ice hockey to try and cope with the heat wave. Did it work? Kind of. <laughs> well, at least you've had some entertainment. Alina, are you even awake? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> What have you done since I last spoke to you about an hour ago? Uh, having dinner, cuddling my dog, uh, eating chocolate and trying to prep for tomorrow. <laughs> Rock and roll. Zach's with us as well. Zach. Hey, Alex. How you doing? Zach's highlight of this week is a new washing machine. Is that right? Well, well, no, it's not even a new washing machine because coronavirus. It apparently oh, means so that they Zach can't has, do anything. <laughs> Zach has been dealing with that. Right, okay, we decided, Zach and I, that it was all right in March and April that everyone shut their call centres and went, oh, corona, and refused to help their customers. But it's nearly fucking September now, and if you've taken <laughs> my money, pick up the damn phone. That's where you're at right now, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. I'm a bit bored of people using COVID as an excuse for just being crap at their job when it's got nothing to do with actual coronavirus. So, yeah, um, Especially after they've taken money from you. Yeah, because that bit's easy. That coronavirus doesn't stop them from doing that. It's everything else that goes with it that's just impossible. Like providing you with the service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Dorman is absolutely fucking baffled in Dublin. Why, Dorman? Well, no, it's just because I just shut down my argument to my PhD supervisor for the next six months. Okay. Um, <laughs> It, it just started pelting down rain again. Um, so Ireland is as it always was. Damn. So you've got a mad guy with a peanut for a head who's made such complicated restrictions that you literally, unless you work in a fucking sausage factory, uh, you don't really know what, what's what, do you? Yeah, um, our COVID situation is confusing because we have had a spike, which is bad, but now the restrictions that are put in place are just mind-boggling. Um, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> So you can have six people in a house together from different households and no more, but you can all go back to school. Yes. But you can't uh, get married. 
or the pub. Oh, and the pub. You can yeah. go to mass or the pub. That's basically it, isn't it? But only if the pub sells food and only if you buy a meal that's worth nine euro. Oh, is that like that? You see, you posted a receipt the other day for someone who bought scampi and chips for nine euro and then 32 pints, didn't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, I, I don't know, but after a substantial meal, I'm a terrible, <laughs> terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> Are, are there any restrictions on sharing those big Guinness hats? Or um, Well, because we have no tourists, they're banned. We don't have to keep up pretensions anymore. <laughs> what has the health minister come up with this week that makes absolutely no sense, Mr Peanut? Everything. Uh, well, he, he said that um, dri dri driving a car is like coronavirus because they both involve social distancing. And I think he said that seatbelts were like masks and that these are the risks we just have to take. And then he said something about trampolines as well, which was ironic because we've just been hit by a storm and all our trampolines are scattered across the countryside. Is also, is he the guy that paid £9 for Scampi and then drank 32 pints and then came up with that policy? Almost certainly. <laughs> Beth is refusing to acknowledge possible lockdowns in the black country. She's hoping that it only affects James in Birmingham. Absolutely. The Brummies, keep all of the Brummies hidden away. That's where they, where they belong. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, we may have a couple more people dropping in. Uh, apparently, Marcus is currently trying to drive home from London and swearing his way down whatever motorway takes him towards Kent. Let's get started. So today we are going to do the world's most dumbass conspiracy theory. Um, Clive thinks this is a conspiracy theory because he's out with his wife and therefore couldn't make this. Um, and he believes that obviously the fact that he never wins when Johnny is a judge is also a conspiracy. So that was his argument, but I don't think it's getting any traction. So why don't we start with, let's start with Andy Brockman, just because I know as soon as he popped up, everyone was really excited because we all know what Andy's going to do. Andy, what's your claim to fame? Can I throw something in before Andy starts speaking? No. Please. Yes. Oh. The reason Andy's going first so now he can drink afterwards, so he's now very coherent. And afterwards he can have a drink and be not so coherent. Am I wrong? I, I have to say, actually, I, I did come prepared and I, 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 I did discuss this with Alina beforehand. And I, on the provider, I, I, before I got into this business, I used to work in theatre. And the, rule, the hard and fast rule was, unless you were a complete piss artist, you never drank until the show was over. And so I've got my can of Limonata Light here. But at the same time, being as it's a heritage programme, and um, I did think about Shepardine Spitfire, but then I thought actually no more appropriate will be the, uh, the, the, the famous brew dog Barnard Castle Heritage Eye Test. Uh, <laughs> that's not the first uh, time it's made an appearance on this programme, is it, Holmes? Who had no, it before? No, we drank ours ages ago. <laughs> if, we're if we're talking about conspiracies, what, what, what better? Yeah. Okay, well, just before we start, Marcus has just rocked in, looking slightly flustered. Fun journey home? Absolutely thrilling. All the way through uh, Chelsea, everything. Brilliant. But good to be here. Cheers. I literally have never seen Marcus with a hair out of place, and he looks like he's just got out of bed. I think he's quite had enough, and he's ready to hit the bottle. Right, okay, Andy Brockman, tell us. <laughs> tell us how you've okay. embroiled in it as well, because you were <laughs> at the very centre of this conspiracy theory, weren't you? It, it, at the centre of the conspiracy theory, it's difficult to say whether we were at the, at the centre of it or actually exposing it, because I think the interesting thing about it, okay, is that it's the, it's the buried Spitfires of Burma. Um, it really became public currency in the spring of 2012. Uh, and, and the reason, again, I think it, it's so brilliant as a conspiracy theory is because 
it was really kicked off by just about the most senior member of the British government that you could get, which was at the time David Cameron, the Prime Minister. Who, <laughs> look at the look on John's um, face. <laughs> <laughs> this is we're talking high level endorsement here um because cameron goes to um goes to myanmar just after sanctions have been lifted and it's a classic modern political dilemma because he needs to uh show something from this um far east jaunt with a bunch of business people and so on in a high uh angolan oil company jet and so he gets a photo opportunity with Aung San Suu Kyi and puts out a press release about cooperating with the Myanmar government to, on a joint heritage project to dig up spitfires that were buried in, uh, basically on Myanmar's equivalent Heathrow, exactly 75 years ago in the autumn of 1945. Um, and there was one problem as, with the plan, as Captain Blackadder said, it was bollocks. Um, because we, when we came to, to look into it, this story that went round the world and got millions of hits on the net and dragged in cards on the table, my employer, Wargaming, um, when we came to look at it, there's absolutely no evidence for it whatsoever, but it did click off, uh, tick off a load of the, the, the classic conspiracy theory tropes, which I'm sure we're going to hear about for the rest of the evening which is you know um unsourced comments and assertions which then become facts um unnamed sources or sources who happen to be conveniently dead um or otherwise un, un, un unreachable um and cut to the chase it all appears to have begun around the bars like our metaphorical bar 75 years ago with a lot of board service people who started to spin shaggy dog stories about buried spitfires and it sounded good it sounded as though it might be true it made people feel good um it made people sound as though they had the inside track on something really secret that nobody else had the inside track on and it grew like topsy from there. And then when, uh, when Cameron gives it credence in, in, in 2012, it goes worldwide. But in fact, it's, a, you know, it's tropes that go right the way back to the dawn of storytelling and you know, the, uh, Jason and the search for the Golden Fleece, the spitfires of, 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 of the Golden Fleece in the same way that the, um, the Nazi gold train is, is, is a, a golden train and the you know, um, East Anglian farmers are still supposed to have boxes full of, American Air Force flying jackets in their barn, you know. I've got to ask, before I hand this over to the judges, at what point in all of this did you just think, this is fucking shit? How did I get dragged into this? I never, never did feel like that because I actually thoroughly enjoyed the whole experience because I'm sort of slightly odd, I suppose, as a sort of a historian and an archaeologist in that I love storytelling, I love folklore. And I think those are as much part and parcel of the currency of what we do as resource, you know, as, as, as properly sourced academic arguments and narratives, because you know, they're out there in the public domain. We can't ignore them. Things like conspiracy theory, and again, I'm sure we'll talk about it later on this evening, but the, you know, the, there are dark sides to conspiracy theory as well. Um, 
we, you know, we, at the moment, you know, as 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 we're discussing it here, we've got an American president apparently endorsing QAnon, which is one of the most out there left field conspiracy theories on the planet at the moment. So I, I think it's absolutely worthy of study and you know enjoyment where where it's possible to enjoy and warning where we need to give warnings. Plus, you didn't really end up with egg on your face because you weren't the one running around telling everybody they were there, were you? Um, that I guess yes, that is. I've always I've always described it from internally to to when we went public with it, and obviously they're putting the plug. We've got the book out at the moment, *Verbs of Burma*, available from all good book sources. Um, but no, the 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 point was that. Um, I, I and later the, the the rest of the team that we brought on board were in the position of saying basically Father Christmas is isn't just dead. He doesn't. He never existed in the first place. So you um, joy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Killed the party stone dead. <laughs> Holmes, any questions? Yeah, I mean, firstly, it's it's most unlike a Conservative Prime Minister just to make something up or not bother checking any facts. This is very <laughs> out of character, really, isn't it? Um, I, I sort of remember it. I remember, like, the big reveal and then nothing happening, and then it almost just faded away like a sort of embarrassing relative rather than there was any definitive sort of cut-off to it. But um, surely you'd have thought Cameron would have checked something before he got fully behind it. You might say that I couldn't possibly comment. No, that, all, all I will say is that we tried to FOI the briefing notes and documents that Cameron must have been given when he did his press points and so on. And the Cabinet Office refused to release them. And then um, what, on, the gra- if, if, on the basis that it was true, what was, the, what was the rationale for burying them in the first place? It depends on who you were talking to at the time. Um, the, I, I mean, it, even the main protagonist in this was a, a Lincolnshire farmer called David Cundell, um, who managed to get the ear of Cameron and, 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 the, and, the, and the people around him because, uh, because he basically told a story they wanted to hear um, that suited them at the time, I think. But uh, even David had several different versions. Um, one that it was a sort of, uh, the war's come to an end, everybody's going home, there's all this kit lying around, how do we get rid of it? Oh, why not? We'll spend vast resources burying a great big hole and putting them in, in the hole. Um, for which, you know, there's no evidence that happened anywhere else whatsoever. People are probably familiar with all the photographs of the various aircraft dumps around the world where they were being torched and cut up and recycled. Um, the other version, and, and this is where it becomes a, a really juicy, traditional, glorious conspiracy theory, is that uh, Lord Louis Mountbatten, cousin of the king, friend of Noel Coward, one of the most high-profile celebrities of the time, uh, had this secret plan to bury the Spitfires to aid the Karen, who'd helped British Special Forces and the SOE during World War II, um, in any future conflicts with the uh, putative post-war Burmese government, if Burma gained its independence knowing that the Union of, of, of Burma, now Union of Myanmar, is one of the most ethnically fractured countries in the, in the Far East. And so it was done to help the Karen, but as Sebastian Cox of the RF historical branch, who many of you may be aware of, uh, said to us, 
um, a Karen in 1945, if you gave him a Spitfire in a crate, he'd get rid of the Spitfire and live in the crate. It was a complete, um, it was a complete fantasy. Um, not, but apart from anything else, it, it presupposes that Mountbatten, who, okay, was a brilliant self-publicist and, and uh, was able to, you know, manipulate history in the media to, to his own satisfaction for a long, long time. But it, it presupposes that he was also a clairvoyant because the, uh, the Karen uprising against the central Burmese government didn't happen for two years until two years after the Spitfires were supposed to have been buried. So, you know, the, the, it, it, the thing is, it, it, it was a house of cards. And the moment you, you even looked at a card, let alone took it out, uh, the whole thing collapsed, but nobody looked. Zach question. Yeah, I'm just trying to get my head around how big a hole you've actually got to dig to bury a Spitfire. I mean, even if you break it up, it's, it's, it's a Spitfire. It's massive. Mm. Yeah. And according to David and the people who supported the theory, it, it varied between the number that were buried, varied between six, a dozen, 18 or so, which represents a squadron, 36, two squadrons right up to north of 100 in multiple locations. It, you know, it, it, it was one of those stories that the more people heard it, the more variations are added, the more people um, were being quoted as saying, oh, I was there at the time, I remember this. And, and, and there's a whole load of, you know, what appears to be a whole load of um, suggestion going on. These stories are planted in people's memories unconsciously. And... Um, but you're absolutely right. I and mean, that was one of the key things. When, when we first looked at it, when we were first asked to do a desktop study, the first thing we looked at was the logistics on RF Mingladon, which was the main location, at the time in the autumn of 1945. Um, we immediately discovered, first of all, it was the monsoon season. And even if you just go onto the Imperial War Museum website and look at the, you know, put Mingledon, RF Mingladon into the search and come up and look at the photographs, you've got pilots wading through ankle-deep mud. And you can imagine how trying to dig a dirty great hole in a monsoon would work in those circumstances. Um, then you go to Kew and you look at the operations record books and you discover that there was a shortage of heavy equipment. I mean, they had, um, the RF engineers had two cranes to work across two airfields in, in, uh, in Rangoon uh, at that period. Um, at which point they introduced the American Seabees to do the job. Um, yeah. And, and it just grew, it just grows from there. It, you know, it, it's, um, but yeah, the, the, the logistics is, it, it falls at the logistics hurdle because it just, it, apart from the fact it was a F of a lot of work, um, it just was completely impractical in the circumstances and with what they had available at the time. I love the fact that the, 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 the really optimistic thing, and these, these things have been buried for three years, you'll dig them up and then the engine will start straight away. You know, that'll be... No need, oh, to, see, no need to dig any spares next to them. They don't need that. No, but, but as David will tell you, they were buried in uh, oil paper and all the joints and so on were, were, were sealed and the engines were, were, were all proper, fully lubricated and, and, and uh, rust preserver and, uh, and so on. So, uh, you know, oh, and, that, and, and that's, um, they were also buried in the, uh, the CBs built a concrete vault, concrete floor, concrete roof with teak beams supporting the whole thing. I mean, if you really wanted to help those rebels, I mean, perhaps the best thing would have been to let, bury them with their engines running, just to save a bit more time, yeah. really. Or bury a mechanic with them. <laughs> well, actually, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, and I've got to be fair here, uh, you know, impartial academic, you have to follow all the, all, 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 all the evidence. Um, we actually managed to track down uh, 
two known Karen Spitfire pilots who were in the RAF and then went into the Burmese Armed Forces after the war. So they did, they did actually have two pilots available. But the guy that looks after my elephant in Thailand is Karen and a psycho, and I wouldn't mess with him <laughs> if he had a Spitfire. He fucking end you. Apparently his dad's a famous freedom fighter and everything. Anyway, Dyer, any questions? Um, yeah, I remember, I, as a self-confessed aviation geek, I remember following this with, with much amusement at the time. One of the things that always stands out that, that tends to sort of not get mentioned is is that one of the things that I think drove it was that a restored Spitfire in flying conditions worth about two and a half million quid. So someone Absolutely. was someone was very, very keen for this to be true. <laughs> Um, yeah. the climate with the climate bit always kind of amused me in the sense that there is a reason why you you put planes out to pasture in the middle of a fucking desert where it doesn't rain you don't bury them in one of the most humid and, and probably wettest climates on the planet irrespective yeah. of whether you lube everything up it, it just it sort of didn't ring true but i you know i, I don't I, i've never ever claimed to be an expert but when you sort of study a subject and are keen on it for 40 years and you see a story like that turn up and your immediate reaction is oh, fuck off <laughs> seriously <laughs> But um, but no, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm really really pleased to have, have heard you talk about it. Thank you very much. That's okay. Actually, just just one very quick point on on, on the price. Absolutely, and it, it, it's something we we again looked into the motivation behind this because you, you know what's the motivation behind you know means motive and opportunity. What's the motive? And you're absolutely right. The the price of a, a Spitfire, e, e, even a late war Spitfire with no record, is yeah north of a couple of million quid in flying condition. Mm. Uh, earlier war with a, with, a, with a combat record even more, particularly in the States. Um, but the thing that many people don't get is even if these aircraft hadn't been in flyable condition, just the manufacturer's plate means you can clone an aeroplane from it according to the Civil Aviation Authority and you can still then flog it for, you know, million and a half, two million quid to a, to a, to a high-end collector. And, and in fact... One of the things we noticed when we started researching this is that the aeroplane hunters who used to work in Britain and Europe, now that Britain is effectively mined out because the, um, uh, because of the, quotes, aviation archaeology stroke wreck recovery that's been going on since the 1970s, um, and particularly after the Protection of Military Remains Act clamped down on how much of it could actually be done and what could be done with the results, have been moving further and further abroad to try and find examples of aircraft that they can then put onto the market. And in fact, I know of a number of um, aircraft hunters who have been in Myanmar and other countries in the Far East looking for wartime wrecks um, and uh, going up country, talking to local people, trying to find the wrecks that are lost in the jungle and so on with the idea um, almost certainly of... uh, bringing these aircraft back to life and, and back to market in some form or another. Mm. Wow. Just because I terrified you all with the Karen, you can actually get the better of them by giving them 25 millilitres of Baileys and they are absolutely trolled and unable to function after that and end up running round after the elephants, singing mad teeny bopper songs and acting like assholes. Just, just be careful. If, if the Tatmar door get hold of that, the Burmese armed, armed forces, that would end, what, 50 years of civil war overnight, probably, if they just dropped crates of Baileys. 
I know, I'm, seriously, they didn't even get through half a bottle that we took to this elephant sanctuary and they were like rolling around on the floor like a mess. It was like, it was like a Francis Drake round the world tour after half an hour. Anyway, let's move on. Speaking of Francis Drake, let's move on to his biggest fan, Lockie. I thought you were going to say Dorman then. Did you not see the way he screwed his face up then as if he knew that's what I was going to do? I was scared. Um, right, what shall I talk about? I'm talking about, um, oh, it's a, it's a theory, certainly. I mean, what are all these conspiracy theories anyway? There's some way of discrediting someone or putting some daft point of view across. Uh, I'm staying in my lane. I'm doing the First World War, and I'm talking about a story uh, that went around in the press, chiefly the Northcliffe press. So There's a surprise. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Alfred Harmsworth's papers the the times the mail um london evening news uh, and this was a spin-off from a german story or rather a, an article in a in a german story fairly innocuous one in in a in a berlin paper the berlin lokal anzeiger um which had mentioned something called a cadaver verwertungsanstalt um which is a corp a cadaver processing uh, establishment establishment for the utilization of carcasses uh, is what it is. Um, the Northcliffe Press picked up on this and ran the stories that the Germans were boiling down human carcasses uh, because they were so short of things like glycerins and fats uh, that they were going to be turning them into explosives or eating them or or something like that uh, and this played pretty well because it, it was early 1917 uh, when this story came about and basically they'd run out of good stuff by then um we'd had the sort of 1914 run of um germans putting belgian babies on spikes and burning down big libraries and then they had 1915 where they shot edith cavell sunk the lusitania and used poison gas for the first time. Um, 1916, everyone was shouting about tanks uh, and things like that. And they sort of run out of juicy things. So they picked up this ball and ran with it. Um, the government didn't do very much to say, well, hang on, we're not sure about this. Um, and you can kind of understand why, because it's not really the government's job to say, hang on a minute, the Germans aren't as bad as all that. Um, the Germans obviously furiously denied this story. Everyone's reading each other's papers, obviously, is how we got the story in the first place. But the Germans got hold of the story that the British press were running with and, uh, and, and said it wasn't true. The, the British government was happy enough to run with it. And it sort of ticked along through the war uh, quite nicely in varying degrees of horribleness. And, um, yeah, beastliness, of course. That's what we always accuse the Germans of during the First World War. Beastliness. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this rumbled on. And, and, and then we get into 1918. And it's still sort of ticking along in the background um, a little bit. And um, it gets to autumn. And it's, it's late September. And, and British and Commonwealth soldiers are breaking the Hindenburg line open. Good stuff. And some Australian soldiers come across what they think is like a mobile version of one of these corpse factories because what they come across is like this uh, is a kind of big heating unit with pots on and, and pans and stuff and human bones uh, in there and they think jesus we've got it you know it's one of these corpse factories we can prove the bastards have been up to this uh, and so this all gets reported back now 
what it seems has actually happened, this is a German field kitchen um, that had taken an artillery round and which had quite literally blown the cooks into the soup is the, is the kind of real version of what happened there. But the press was happy to run and run with it. And so it ticked along um, until probably 1925 is the kind of official close of the story, really. 1922, um, there was a, a bit of a kind of closing down on a few of the wartime stories that are gone on. And there's loads of them. I mean, yeah, cutting off children's hands and poisoning fruit and on the retreat from the Marne. And there's a few crucified Canadian. That was another German beastliness um, story. And they sort of had a bit of a closing down of, uh, of, of these in 1922. Um, but in 1925, uh, our friend Charters, who was Haig's um, intelligence officer, basically stood up and said, I made the whole thing up. We need to do a podcast on him at some point because he gets so many mentions on this. Yeah, he does. Um, so I guess that's the story. Um, the German corpse factory uh, in all of its uh, beastliness and horribleness that ran through um, the sort of latter part of the First World War um, when we were trying to tell everyone what bastards the Germans were. Excellent. Dyer, any questions? Um, it's a fascinating one. I've only ever read a little bit about it. I think it's... Um we'll probably discover this a lot tonight it's, it's kind of people people will believe stuff if it it doesn't even have to be particularly convincing it just has to confirm some of your preconceptions and, and the stereotypes that exist around around people and if, if you can get if you can get a newspaper to write about it after that then basically you're away um but i do have to say anyone who, who could who could get a conspiracy theory going pre-internet is you know has done pretty well because it was obviously less easy then um this is it's not so many questions as such because it, it, it when you look back at it now it just sounds daft and when you've got the explanation i think a lot of people thought it was daft at the time i think there were people mm. in parliament are saying we're not actually seriously saying this uh, mm. are we you know they're boiling down i mean they had the situation in germany had become so desperate um with the blockade that they're literally boiling humans down <laughs> but there was um, it, you know, some of the cartoons in the press, I'm sort of holding this one up now. It's uh, your Kaiser has a use for you, dead or alive, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, he's pointing to this um, poor young German soldier who's a bit ooh, wide-eyed. Um, yeah, it's that, it's, that, it's that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, it's, um, the, the government had their own propaganda office or wellington house was in charge of public information of that of that sort and they decided not to interfere with northcliffe's running away and getting carried away with that story there's kind of there's sort of a fine sorry alex there's, there's sort of a fine line between actually what what's what's just plain old propaganda and or actually just letting something run because it suits your it suits your purpose yeah it's one thing to say propaganda like official propaganda from the government mm. this wasn't that but also, but it worked. The, yeah, it was. It, mm. Yeah, the government's not going to say. Yeah, not not going to intervene if uh, if the public's being further convinced that this war is worth fighting and worth sacrificing for. Mm. It's quite amazing, okay. though, that even in World War One, everyone goes, "Yeah, but it's the fucking Daily Mail. They just make shit up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, afraid so. It really is because we did it for the football thing as well, didn't we, Holmes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean. It was properly put together by, by the government, though, wasn't it? I mean, I think Charles admitted that it originated from two photos. One was a, a wounded Ger Germans carrying a wounded German back, and the other one was dead, 
um, donkeys and horses, and apparently cadaver in German only refers to animal bodies and not human bodies. And so all Chartres did was swap the captions from the photo and then give it out from there. And the reason for doing it as well, I think, was wasn't it to bring China into the war on our side? It was first published in a English language Chinese the Chinese paper. The yeah. I can't remember the name of it, but that actually worked. I mean, whether it was surely solely down to that article or not, I mean, it's quite it's quite odd. I guess the thing about conspiracy theories is normally you expect them to be sort of massively made up by people who should know better in the first place. It seems a bit cheating that the government has sort of done this and people are then misled. I mean, one of the other things that I read that people, when they realised they'd been misled, they were slow to believe rumours of the Holocaust in the Second World War because of things like this, which were sounded outrageous and then were subsequently found not to be true. But I think, and I don't know what Johnny's thinking tonight, but I think we're looking at proper whack jobs and whack job community that just make stuff up that are obviously not true. And then it just goes from there, really. I want want Tim Four Hat stuff. (laughs) This this is the key for tonight. The Tim Four Hats are coming. Let's do one more before we break to go and get more booze. Uh, No, Marcus, I don't think Holmes did just deny the Holocaust. (laughs) Let's not put that on him. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet, anyway. Yeah. That may come later on this evening. Let's do one of the girls. Let's go to let's go to my my favourite person in the world right now, the cake lady. I still haven't forgotten those cupcakes. I don't think. Mark oh man, them. yeah. <laughs> this is the worst thing about the virtual pub is that I can't force feed you cake. Uh, next time, next time, next time. All right, okay. Well, look, you wanted tinfoil hats. I have got the tinfoil hats for you. Are you ready? Yeah, we're all ready. They're all getting the nods. Okay. So <laughs> I'm, I'm doing... <laughs> they all just want cake. Um, I'm doing fairly recent history, but I am going to go back into the 90s. I know. If you can remember that time, it is history, even if you remember it. So I want to talk to you about the Clinton body count, first of all. So in November 2016, the American people chose the most inexperienced presidential candidate in history over the most qualified. And that was arguably and perhaps understandably because that candidate lacked a penis. Very important to remember that at all times. I can't have a leader who can't pee standing up. Um, though I'm not sure Trump can manage it. Anywho, um, I'm going off course here. When I talk about Hillary Clinton with my friends, as I often do, I've noticed there's a common reaction, which is that, well, you know, she's a bit dodgy, to which I reply by screaming into a pillow for several hours. If we unpack the Hillary's dodgy problem, without touching on the I just don't warm to her problem, like the President of the United States is meant to tuck every American in and sing them a lullaby every night, We come to a conspiracy theory which was known as the Clinton body count, which goes rapidly from House of Cards season finale stuff to so ridiculous that Trump has probably done it batshit crazy. It originated back in 1993 when a lawyer called Linda Thompson, an anti-Clinton activist, compiled a list of 24 people close to the Clintons who died, titling it the Clinton body count. Coincidence or kiss of death? Linda Thompson had founded the American Justice Federation. It's a for-profit group which promoted pro-gun causes via radio, computer bulletin boards, newsletters, videos, 
Um, but the Clinton body count is still maintained on several far right wing um, websites. The letter containing the Clinton body count was sent to Congress in 1994 by a famously homophobic and anti-Semitic congressman. We've got them all here, haven't we? We've got all ticking all the boxes here. Um, and on the list, there were several easily explained by heart attacks, plane crashes, suicides, that kind of thing. The most notable of which was Vince Foster. He was deputy White House counsel. He'd been a colleague of Hillary's in her law firm and joined the administration on the ground floor. As such, he had no experience of working in Washington and he fucked up several times on several rather big things that are great ammunition for a conservative opposition. It was too much for him and he was depressed. He had problems with depression and he took himself off into Fort Marcy Park and he shot himself in the head. The conspiracy theory started immediately. Despite several separate investigations, there are still those today in 2020 who shake their heads and say, you know, well, you know, did he though? And Trump even said it was very fishy. Trump went on to, as we all know, dub Hillary, crooked Hillary, and that shit stuck. It stuck and it stuck well. So when we come back to 2016 and there's a big hack of the emails um, of Hillary Clinton's um, campaign, most notably her campaign manager, John Podesta, things get really, really weird very quickly. So John Podesta's emails were published by WikiLeaks in November 2016, a few days prior to the general election. And conspiracy theorists noticed a number of references to pizza ordering pizza, cooking pizza, going for a pizza. They then linked this, of course, to a code supposedly used by paedophiles online where cheese pizza, and I'm doing the little quotation thing here, stands for child pornography, CP, child pornography, cheese pizza. It's obvious when you think about it, of course. <laughs> and... <laughs> They then used this in what became known as Pizzagate, which is my nomination for most stupid conspiracy theory. And basically what Pizzagate suggests is that several high-ranking Democratic Party officials and celebrities, big names, are all involved in an alleged child sex ring, which is being run from a pizza restaurant in Washington, D.C., the pizza restaurant is also a meeting place for satanic rituals. Um, and the pizza restaurant, in, in case you don't want to go there, is called Comet Ping Pong, which sounds even funnier in a British accent. In, November, in December 2016, a very well-meaning, gullible vigilante, a 28-year-old lad from North Carolina, turned up at Comet Ping Pong with an assault rifle to save the children who are being kept there in a basement. And he, he shot a few rounds. He managed to hit a wall, a desk and a door. I don't know how he managed to miss a load of people with an assault rifle, but the, the guy's clearly mad. Um, he thought he had gone there to save these children from Comet Ping Pong. Why Comet Ping Pong? Okay, why did they pick on this place? Their logo, this is, this is again, you're gonna you see the logic here. Their, log, their logo bears striking similarities to symbols related to Satanism and to pedophilia. That symbol is a triangle. <laughs> what shape is a piece of pizza, guys? I mean, I, I, I can't go to Pizza Express anymore. I mean, you know, I'm absolutely um, I'm shocked beyond belief. 
There were claims that Comet Ping Pong led to an underground network of um, pens and you know, cells where they were holding child sex slaves. But when the New York Times actually looked into all of this stuff in December 2016, they found that um, there's no basement at Comic Ping Pong. And the photographs used on the Conspiracy Theory website were actually taken from another restaurant. They'd also shared a photograph of the owner of Comet Ping Pong wearing a T-shirt. This is, you're really going to be shocked now. It said, j'adore l'enfant. I love children. Not good. Um, <laughs> but that was actually a reference to a cafe also in D.C. called L'Enfant, which is named after its owner, Monsieur L'Enfant. Um, Oh, and the person in the photo wearing that T-shirt is not the owner of Comic Ping Pong. <laughs> so I think we can all agree this is a steaming pile of bullshit. Um, but no, it's still actually believed at a very wacko part of the internet, which is rapidly becoming mainstream and scaring the shit out of me, called QAnon, which we've touched on. And despite having absolutely no intention to bring this up to the present day, it literally fell in my lap as I was looking at the Clinton body count, as I was looking at Pizzagate. And this QAnon is a mad collection of conspiracy theories, Pizzagate being one of them, which they complain that was not properly investigated. And it started off on the crazier social media channels, 4chan, 8chan, before finding its way to your auntie on Facebook. And she now believes that Lady Gaga is procuring child sex slaves for Jeffrey Epstein's private pedo island. You try saying that. That's, that's <laughs> difficult. Um, and then this, it just, it, you know, when you, you probably find this when you're looking into a story, when you're kind of writing notes and stuff, I just got haunted by it. I've literally had to defriend somebody on Facebook this week, an old childhood friend, for posting QAnon videos on her Facebook page. It's had 8.1 million views. And I said to her, please don't share this. This is where it comes from. This is, this is what it's based on. It's based on some absolute bullshit from the 90s that Hillary Clinton is having people killed. And it's it's so insidious. It's horrendous. Um, and these well-meaning morons are sharing this shit. And I can say it because she won't listen. You're a moron, Gemma. You're an absolute moron. <laughs> so, so I think that not only does Pizzagate qualify as history's most stupid conspiracy theory, it also has the potential to be the future's most dangerous. And with that, the prostitution rests. Oh blinding i have to go to the american in the room and i was going to ask him what he thought of this but then he posted on the group chat i did my hillary research on battlefield one gamer chats <laughs> <laughs> you know i didn't want to just stick to the american point of view so uh we had to get uh a lot of gamers involved but they had a long lag so i'm not sure the questions and answers lined up okay I'm going to see if either of our two judges can get through questioning Charlotte on this without mentioning Prince Andrew and getting my access to the Royal Archives. <laughs> Holmes. Hang on. I've just got to cross out my first four questions. And uh, no, well, I, I, I was sort of aware of snippets of this. I, I, I wasn't aware of the, the bot. So we go from her being a murderer and then it then morphs into being part of this um, child sex ring. And then, is the murder thing still live or has, has everyone forgotten about that and they're concentrating on the paedophile aspect? <laughs> no, they, the murder thing is still very much live. And it, that's the scary thing is that people seem to think that she's dodgy and it's, 
that has just been lingering around for so long. People still say they still talk about Vince Foster. And that was an open shut case. You know, even his family don't want to talk about that anymore because it's horrible. Um, yeah. It's... Has this sort of evolved and continued? Is this something that sort of got a new lease of life under Trump? Definitely. Because we can imagine Trump supporters embracing this wholeheartedly. Well, this is this is the central belief of QAnon is that um, actually all of this stuff exists and there's only one person who can save them. They actually think that Trump is their savior against Satanism and child sex um, work, you know, all this sort of stuff. But it's, it comes back to what we were talking about with um, with the beastly Germans. It's confirmation bias. And unfortunately now, you know, we've got this mouthpiece, this giant mouthpiece, who That's what is, we're putting it. <laughs> yeah, I've called him other things. Um, who's perpetuating these theories? And he's even just had—I can't remember their names—but they're both two female candidates in the last week or so who've either been um, given the Republican uh, nomination in their states or have won seats and are publicly um, backing. Uh, you know, endorsing QAnon theories. They're becoming mainstream and it's, it's scary stuff. Can, can, I make a, 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 can I make an intervention on a point of fact? Yes. Uh, just very, very quickly. Um, one of the things we found out was that the latest psychological research is that there's something like maybe a quarter of the population whose perception of information is constructed in such a way that... First of all, they're inclined to believe conspiracy theories in the first place. And then when you show them evidence to the contrary, they take that as part of the conspiracy. And there's nothing you can say that can actually break that short of a very detailed sort of um, deprogramming. Or punching them. Yeah. That's quicker that and probably work. cheaper, but yeah. <laughs> But in all, in all, in all seriousness, you know, I think in the past, people, people, because the information that's been out there, people haven't factored that into discussions like this. So when you're talking about the Trump base, that you know, there'll, there'll be, a, you know, statistically, a large part of that base will be programmed to accept this stuff, and then, um, yeah, and anything oh. you or I or anybody else says to the contrary is part of the conspiracy. So yeah, we all, we're all, we're all off to pizza. We're off to all off to get pizza. Is they it, say it's a... the mainstream media, don't they? They say, well, the mainstream media won't look at this. The mainstream media won't talk about this, but we will, you know, we're going to find the truth. I swear to God, the amount of arguments I've had with my mum in lockdown because she's pre-programmed to believe everything that comes out of fucking Piers Morgan's mouth on Good Morning <sighs> Britain. She'll come in and tell me some new horror fact about COVID. I'm like, did you get this from Piers Morgan? No, but there was a doctor there as well. I'm not listening if it came from Piers Morgan. But isn't, isn't this... A bit like Lockie's propaganda, right? There, there's a sort of political aim to this, whereas I thought, you know, if we're embracing proper conspiracy theories, it needs to be sort of like Area 51 type nonsense, where actually, you know, nobody's really affected it. We can just listen to a load of slightly random, you know, <laughs> explanations. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Now, when I started writing this, that's what I thought I was doing. I thought I was talking about this stupid thing from a few years ago, um, where where they thought that there was a, a paedophile ring in a pizza restaurant, that and that is pure conspiracy theory, nutter stuff. I had no idea that it came up to right current. Uh, that just fell in my lap. I mean, and to be to be fair to John, you know, many years ago we'd have thought, oh, it's in America type thing, but actually now we tend to hear about 
a year behind you with this type of shit these days, unfortunately. You know, one of those candidates uh, Charlotte was talking about uh, got her nomination just up the road from Atlanta. So, yeah, we're, we're ahead Sorry. of the curve. Which is why you're cocooned in your office with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hi, <laughs> are any questions? Um, fucking hell. I just... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go the sort of the, the intelligent literature route first. And my dad, my dad taught me this phrase. He's, he's, a, he's a reasonably well-read man. And um, it's a poem, The Mask of Pandora. And Prometheus, one of the characters, says, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. Really? I mean, do you need any more evidence? Um, going sort of into the vernacular, these people, they fuck farmyard animals and listen and watch nascar i mean jesus christ and and they're now moving into the mainstream i no further questions your honor i just this is exactly what we want this this, this is your proper tinfoil hat fucking lunacy it, yeah, that's that's a conspiracy going down this road dyer don't worry but more <laughs> importantly lucky Pina Colada, what's the verdict? It's looking good. Everyone's just looked at, everyone's eyes have gone to Lockie, who has poured out the Pina Colada. I have put way too much rum in it, and it is outstanding. <laughs> Brilliant. As soon as it's legal, we're all coming round to yours for Pina Colada. <laughs> the ice thing totally worked, by the way, and the Millennium Falcon is in a bajillion pieces, and I am drinking it. It was funny, because you were going and doing it and getting it all ready with your camera and your phone and everything. And yeah, I've got pictures. And was you go and wave it at your girlfriend and go, ha! Vindication! <laughs> it's the tiny pina colada of vindication. It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, he's now, I think he's actually going to get the tiny penis of vindication. Yes, he is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> it's now history hack meme, which we will post so that you can all use it with Twitter lunatics. But for now, we're all going to go and grab a drink and then we'll be back with some more conspiracy lunacy. <laughs> conspiracy the the conspiracy theories involving gin and tonic. I like that. Yeah, we've just had a conspiracy revelation during the break. Marcus, what's happened? Oh, I've gone to the fridge to get a gin and tonic and there's a 16 pack of individual tonics disappeared. It's, uh, it's probably aliens or Hillary Trump <laughs> or, or my girlfriend's girl. slightly an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so going with aliens. Now in Good. Oh, very nice. Okay, right. Where should we go first? Let's go to, oh, right, I want to get this one out of the way because I've spent the last three days listening to Alina do a rendition of It's My Podcast and I'll cry if I want to because the dumbass muted our group chat, which meant that she didn't see that Zach had picked this next candidate and she's been whining ever since because she considered it hers and didn't know that it was already gone. So, Zach, what did you go for? Uh, I went for, frankly, what is the daddy of conspiracy theories, because for years, you all thought that the war ended when Hitler, on the 30th of April, 1945, Oh no, please, no, 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 not that one, please. Oh yes. When he gave cyanide to his wife, Ava Brown, and then shot himself in the head. You thought that his body was burnt with petrol, only to be discovered a few days later by the Soviets. But you were wrong. What actually happened, according to the testimony of private, sorry, pilot Peter Baumgart, is that Hitler and Ava flew to Denmark, boarded a different plane, flew to Spain, 
boarded a convoy of three submarines, not two, three submarines, arrived in Argentina, flew to Bariloche, a known haven in Argentina for Nazi war criminals, and then died on the 13th of February, 1962, after having multiple heart attacks. Now, this has been kept quiet for years. People trying to enlighten the world have been sent death threats, and I'm quoting the internet here, <laughs> presumably from shamed Nazi sympathising nations and bitter exam boards who don't want to update their exam syllabuses. Now, admittedly, there is some dispute over the exact details of what Hitler did after escaping Germany, because he might actually have gone to a secret Nazi base in Antarctica. Although in 2018, scientists very helpfully confirmed that Hitler definitely wasn't living on a secret Nazi base on the moon. But according to the internet, again, he did have a daughter with Ava, who is actually Angela Merkel. Although some sources do suggest that the whole Angela Merkel thing might have been set up by the Americans, the Vatican and the Soviets using Hitler's, how do I put this? Um, frozen baby juice, shall we say? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Why did um, I just is... look at the pina colada? <laughs> <laughs> and it's sitting right in the front of Lockie's shot as well, glaring at everybody. <laughs> and there's only Creamy one. Creamy goodness. So you couldn't put Hitler's frozen spunk in a Millennium Falcon. It wouldn't be right. It'd have to be a Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you got Death Star moulds? It's a durable thing. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be a whole new cocktail. Hitler's frozen baby juice. There is one small problem, though, with everything that I've just told you, which surprisingly is that it's just utter bollocks. Um, I want to do a shout out actually to Luke Daly Groves, who is oh, literally. Yeah, he's literally written the book on this, clinically pulling apart the whole Hitler fled to Argentina theory. And he's got this relentless battle on his hands on Twitter because of the History Channel's show, Hunting Hitler. <laughs> now, the show basically consists of the lead advocate of this conspiracy theory, a guy called Gerard Williams, claiming that there's no evidence that Hitler died in the bunker. I mean, there is, but don't let that worry you, mate. Um, and also on the show, you have a couple of ex-US military guys in what seem to be unnecessarily tight T-shirts saying for no obvious reason, things like, we don't know what the rules of engagement are here. That was meant to be an American accent. I, I do apologise. Um, John, so, don't do the double take. You, you were convinced, weren't you, John? Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> we never know what the rules of engagement are. I don't even know what they are for this uh, Down the Pub podcast. None of us do. We're making them up as we go along. Marcus wants you to do an Irish accent. No chance. <laughs> go on, Zach. No chance. Anyway, the two tight T-shirt brigades say they don't know what the rules of engagement are. Yeah. Um, in situations when they're trespassing on other people's property, in which the only rules of engagement are that you get the bloody hell off when you are told to. But in terms of why is this kind of theory total bullshit? Um, the most important reason is just some seriously inconvenient little things that we call facts and evidence. Um, so people claim that they never found Hitler's body. It's not true. The Soviets found him and identified him by some unique testimony. When and they didn't dangled him upside down as well, right? Sorry? They dangled him upside down as well. The Soviets? Yeah. 
Did they? They dangled him upside down when they found him. That was Mussolini. Why? Wasn't enough of Hitler left to dangle Yeah, exactly. Because his body was so... They're the same person. Here's a conspiracy for you. No one ever saw them two in the same room. That's not true. Not true, yeah. Not the internet. The internet does not lie. Seen on the same railway platform. Several times. Oh, but that's not a run. Yeah, see. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's just yeah, um, vindication yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> With um, Hitler's identification, the, the, like um, Andy just said, there wasn't a lot left of him because his body had been properly burnt. They doused him in petrol and they did a decent job, unlike with Goebbels. Uh, but what they could do is extract about 15 teeth from the upper and lower jaw. And they took those teeth to Hitler's dentist. Now, he had actually fled Berlin but his dental assistant, Katja Roseman, was asked to physically draw Hitler's teeth without being shown the, the remnants of his jaw. And she remembered them really well because his teeth were absolutely bloody awful. And her drawings perfectly matched the jaw that they'd extracted. They then questioned her repeatedly over five hours, but everything she said was completely consistent and they were certain that they had Hitler. There's other more kind of circumstantial evidence. So the Soviets extracted blood samples from the couch where Hitler shot himself. That's been tested. It's Hitler's blood type. We've got eyewitness accounts from those who saw the body and then burnt it. They obviously didn't take selfies of themselves next to Hitler's burning corpse because they're, you know, ardent Nazis. They weren't happy about the fact that Hitler had, had to top himself. Then we get into the practicalities of moving the bloke, which is where this gets really hilarious. Because by 45, Hitler was a mess. I mean, in fairness, he was always a mess. But medically, by the end of the war, he was a walking corpse. Yeah. I think, think I about... used the phrase smackhead on World War Weird. What you did? Yeah. <laughs> I was, it's funny you say that because I was about to move on to the drugs, actually. Mm -hmm. So cocaine eye drops, ground bull's testicles, even bull's semen as a form of Viagra. And that's before you get onto what it was taking for actual medical issues. Because with the prescribed medical needs, it got even worse. He was given bacteria derived from the faecal matter of Bulgarian peasants. That was to cure his troubled stomach, apparently. Hormones, enzymes, tranquilizers, liver extracts, muscle relaxants, derivatives of morphine, that was to induce constipation, and then laxatives to relieve that same constipation. Um, and it's estimated that by the early 40s, Hitler was on as many as 92 different drugs. By 44, he was taking anti-gas pills for his chronic flatulence, which contained strychnine, which is an active ingredient in rat poisoning, and atropine, a hallucinogenic that can cause death, all of which was given to him by his quack doctor, Morel. In terms of his health, Hitler was pretty close to being a vegetable by the end of the war. According to the SS physician Ernst Gunther Schenk, he was, quote, a living corpse, a dead soul. I was looking into the eyes of death. He had knee complaints, tremors in his left arm, involuntary hand movements to the point where he struggled to feed himself, probably Parkinson's there, failing eyesight and heart problems. Although he was only about 56, Hitler's symptoms were close to what you'd expect from a man in his mid-80s. The idea that you could move this kind of frail crack addict, let alone put him on a submarine, make him go cold turkey on a journey in a U-boat to Argentina, and somehow expect him to survive the journey, is just ludicrous because attempting to move him was about as likely to kill him as the eventual bullet to the head did. Now you might say, well look, no smoke without fire. 
where's the evidence for this come from? What's where the, the rumors come from? Which is where the story gets even more weird because the rumors actually come from the bizarrely paranoid mind of Joseph Stalin. And this is where Williams, that guy from Hunting Hitler, picked up um, the whole thing because he goes, you've got Eisenhower, Zhukov and Stalin all saying, we have no proof this man is dead. But the point is that Stalin told the other allied nations at Potsdam that Hitler was in good health and had probably escaped in part of a power play to keep the allies fearful of a resurgent Third Reich. Soviet radio claimed that Hitler had been hiding in the Alps before the end of the war. Stalin then told the Americans that Hitler had taken a sub to Japan, but in a press conference 10 days later, Spain or Argentina were floated. The FBI did a thorough, well, as you can imagine, kind of crapping themselves about this, did a thorough investigation into alleged sightings of Hitler. They found nothing. The reality only began to leak out when Stalin died. And since the fall of the Soviet Union with the opening of the state archive, the extent of just how sure the Soviets were that Hitler was dead has only really come to light. For one thing, the Soviets kept moving the bodies of Hitler and Eva. They were handed over to the chief of staff of the Red Army in Germany. And every time they moved headquarters, Hitler and Eva had to move with them. So they had to dig them up again, take them with them, until eventually there was an order, which again, you can see copies of in the state archive, eventually telling them to just get rid of them. There is one genuine tragedy in the midst of all of this, though, that I do want to mention, which is Katya Roseman, the dental assistant, who was kept in solitary confinement in Moscow for six years before being sent as a political prisoner um, for a further four years in Siberia. She was released after a total of 10 years of imprisonment in 1955. Why was she held? Well, officially, she was given a series of bullshit charges for sustaining the war by not killing Hitler by not smashing a bottle over his head and therefore ending the war. Essentially, she was kept prisoner because she knew the truth and Stalin wanted that kept quiet. Her husband, when she eventually did manage to make her way home to Berlin after being released, had had her declared dead and remarried. She lost everything because of Stalin's mind games and yet still amazingly managed to stay positive as a result of it all. So there you go. Tin foils hats and, and everything else you could possibly want, including Hitler's baby juice. Not that you'd want <laughs> Hitler's baby juice, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Dyer, is that more what you were looking for? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the... The fact that it's endured for so long and there are still so many adherents to it, I, I think gives credence to it as, as, a, as a proper bona fide conspiracy theory. Um, it's sort of... It's quite indicative of... of how the the, the, so the post-war Soviet Union and, and its its predecessors have been masters of, of disinformation and just throwing curveballs every which way to keep the West on their toes. And it, it, you don't realise how far back it goes, but that's clearly part of it. Um, Thank goodness they don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, few. Thank God that's all over, etc. Um, but yeah, I think as, as a conspiracy theory, it certainly ranks up there with the best of them. Just just given its longevity and just given how batty it is, you know, the amount of evidence to the you know to the country, or you know, it supports the fact that he is actually dead. Um, but I guess it, it's another <laughs> facet of these things is that if there is if there is a little chink of of light that someone can can push their way into and and get doubting they'll do so any questions Holmes yeah well, I mean I've always thought it's obviously it's obviously not true anyway 
And the fact that, you know, he was such a fucking raving egomaniac. The fact that if it was true, he would have kept his mouth shut till 1962 or whenever it was, I think is astonishing. And also the bloke who said, you know, it was like looking into the eyes of death. I mean, given Hitler's track record, it seems slightly unfair to put all that on the drugs he was taking, surely. <laughs> yeah. But I, I noticed I ended up for my sins watching 15 minutes of Chris Tarrant's Extreme Railway Journeys the other day, which is the thing that you do when you're my age and <laughs> early in of an <laughs> evening. And he went to Argentina and he met a chap who was spouting all this nonsense and took him to the the station where Hitler arrived when he got, when he left the sub in Argentina. And it, it wasn't critically assessed at all. This bloke was given a free platform just to spout all this bullshit. And then Chris Tarrant drove away saying, well, obviously, you know, I, I didn't really know what to think. We obviously heard that Hitler died, but um, what he said was so compelling. And then that was it. It just cut. You're thinking, you know, that's probably got a mi several hundred thousand, possibly even a million viewers who are now going to think, you know, irrespective of not watching that shit on the History Channel, they're now going to think, you know, well, there could be something in this. But I mean, the one thing I, I'm not sure of is that we're seeing a slight resurgence of the far right at the moment. Is this something they embrace? Yes, it is. Okay, I wasn't aware. I just don't know. Yeah, no, um, poor Andy was like, no, please, not open this worms. <laughs> and they don't embrace it in the ways you think. It's, well, mm. not just what Zach mentioned with Merkel, but I've seen all sorts of theories. They embrace it that. Hillary's related to Hitler, that Obama is somehow related to Hitler. It's not just that, though. It, it's also to do with things like, again, um, for my sins, Hunting Hitler is something I've looked at quite a lot. I've watched every episode you of all three soul. series. You poor soul. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and reviewed it for, for my website. And it is, well, there's, there's a number of things about it, but what, one of the things um, I came into contact with. Um, uh, somebody uh, who's got the same kind of drive to expose this stuff as Luke has. Um, but they're coming from the point of view, uh, uh, they introduced me to a, uh, an American organisation called Shark Hunters International, which ostensibly is an organisation for people who are interested in submarine warfare, and particularly the U-boat arm. But what they use the um, Hitler Survive mythology for is as part of a strategy, for want of a better word, to rehabilitate the party organisations like the SS. They were just ordinary soldiers doing the job, like our guys were, you know. Um, and it, so it's, it's a subtle kind of em, embrace, embracing voice. There's, there's one, I, just... Glorious, glorious fact, and I think it goes to the heart of a lot of what we're talking about here, which is the media's involvement in promoting this stuff. Because basically, you know, uh, if you want to, you can make a good living doing this. Um, but in all, in, in all, in all seriousness, you know, everybody has to put bread on the table. But if I told you that the previous gig that Gerard had, Gerard Williams had, before he got involved in hunting Hitler and went on the whole Hitler Valerochi thing. Uh, he was involved in uh, an aborted film about the Berries Bitfires of Burma. Any more questions on that one? You've done Luke it, proud, Zach. The thing that sort of slightly amused me was was the notion that every time the headquarters of the Red Army moved, they they took Hitler and Eva with them. And I've just, it's just kind of got this sort of slightly more common wire sketch to it. You've got 
a weekend of Bernie's. Well, it's 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 it's, it's, it's Eric Eric Morecambe in his Red Army uniform, and there's the skeletons sort of you know, hanging next to him. What do you think of it so far? Rubbish. So, <laughs> some, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't didn't the, uh, the the Red Army in East Germany bury him under a barracks car park at one point before they decided to cremate him properly and chuck him in the river? I th- I believe I read that somewhere. But anyway, the bunker is under a car park, isn't it? Bunker is yeah. under a car park. Yes. Yes. It was Richard III who was under the car park. Have you ever <laughs> seen there are lots of things under car park. Richard III is a Nazi. It's all connected. Don't, don't didn't even know, did we? Well, ironically, he was buried with Hitler's missing bollock, of course, Richard III. Mm-hmm. We all know that. That's coming up on the History Channel in a couple of weeks. He's on his back. No, no, <laughs> Hitler was taken up to northern Siberia so they could keep his baby juice frozen. <laughs> Market it as a vodka drink later on in the 80s. Did, did Hitler ever say, ein Flugzeug, ein Flugzeug, mein Reich für ein Flugzeug? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. You see, Richard was found under a car parking space with an R on it. So what we need to look for is a parking <laughs> space with an H on it. Oh my God, Charlotte, this is not an excuse to dig up every hospital helipad. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my spade? <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Right, let's see if we can find something even more ludicrous. Oh, I know this one is well-known, but I love it, and it had to be on here tonight. John, tell us where you're going. Uh, the conspiracy I've got involves uh, Stalin, a government cover-up, naked women, movie stars, real whack jobs, and aliens. So, of course, I'm talking about Area 51 in the Nevada desert in the United States. Now, the conspiracy goes like this. The United States government is covering up a facility, uh, top secret, uh, run by the military, where they are uh, reconstructing and, uh, and reverse engineering alien technology. There are alien embryos there. There's even a story of a helpful alien who's, who's giving uh, us a little bit of, of informed help uh, named J-Rod. Now, the, conspir- the, the story goes like this. Um, it began with a, a mysterious U.S. government base about 200 kilometers from Las Vegas, Nevada. It was uh, established really in the 1950s, but there were in the in the around that time rumors of spacecraft that uh, were being seen by airplanes and people flying around. Just odd things that were flying way too high for conventional aircraft. They didn't look like U.S. or any sort of aircraft uh, anybody was familiar with. Now the conspiracy. Uh, got more traction really in the late 70s, early 80s. A former pilot named John Lear, who was heir to the Learjet fortune, 
a conspiracy nut and, as he, he claims, a former CIA pilot, claimed that Area 51 was built with alien technology. Uh, not long after, a guy who claimed to be a colonel, uh, Air Force colonel who had worked at Area 51, named Bob Let Lazar, claimed that he had been a scientist whose uh, work had involved uh, disassembling flying saucers and other alien technology there. In uh, the 21st century, Annie Jacobson, a Pulitzer Prize finalist, wrote a history on Area 51, uh, which was a pretty conventional history, basically factual. But then at the very end, she repeated this great story that she just had to put in there, uh, that shortly after World War II, captured Nazi doctors took abducted, who had been captured by the Soviet Union, took abducted Soviet teens and enlarged their heads and then put them in strange aircraft under Stalin's orders in 1947. And their mission was to fly into the United States airspace and cause a mass panic, kind of like what supposedly happened when Orson Welles did his War of the Worlds broadcast on American radio. Unfortunately for Stalin, who was, I guess, probably preoccupied a little bit by, uh, by where Hitler's whereabouts, um, the, the plane crashed, this, this unusual plane that these, uh, these extremely large-headed uh, Soviet teens were flying, crashed in Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, this was in 1947. The bodies were then brought to Area 51. Now, this myth of alien technology being stored there and the United States government covering up because it's afraid of panicking the American public has grown throughout pop culture. Uh, in the 1980s and 90s, uh, TV shows like The X-Files and even The Simpsons made references to what we are keeping in Area 51. Uh, in the movie uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you may recall at the very end, the Ark of the Covenant goes into this big hangar, I think it's identified there as Hangar 18, um, where there's also uh, an alien embryo, and uh, that's clearly a reference to Area 51. In the movie Independence Day with Will Smith, the American president, played by Bill Pullman, uh, is given a tour of, the, uh, of Area 51 and claimed he didn't know it existed. And then later on, of course, the History Channel got into it, uh, in, into the show with uh, a drama series called Project Blue Book based on a federal investigation of UFOs. Uh, I think there was also a film called Area 51 made by the director of Paranormal Activity. So you've got all this like pop culture uh, and, and literature that is building here. In 2012, Nevada Senator Harry Reid, who was the uh, for a short time, the majority leader in the U.S. Senate, uh, secured a $22 million grant to a company run by one of his friends to search for extraterrestrial life in the United States. And, of course, that, uh, that took them to Area 51. They were never able to get very far because it is a, it, it's a top-secret facility. Uh, just last fall, in 2019, a California college student named Maddie Roberts uh, began a Facebook campaign called Storm Area 51, They Can't Stop Us All. And uh, over 600,000, yes, uh, over 600,000 people signed up on Facebook pledging to Storm Area 51 so we could finally see the aliens that uh, have been hidden there. 
surprisingly, about 3,000 people showed up. Uh, they were told not to cross into the, the, uh, onto the base. And for the most part, they didn't. Uh, I believe there was one alcohol-related arrest. There was one woman arrested for indecent exposure. So basically about the same statistics that we have on our Down the Pub episodes. So fairly well behaved. But that's where the, the myth and legend of Area 51 goes. The reality is a bit more prosaic. Uh, it is part of, Area 51 is part of Nellis Air Force Base. It's a nuclear testing site uh, built around Groom Lake, uh, New, uh, Nevada. In 1954, President Eisenhower wanted a base where we could test high altitude reconnaissance aircraft. Uh, the project was called uh, Project Aquatone. Uh, it was run by the CIA, so it could be done off the, the formal military books. And it developed the famous U-2 spy plane that uh, I think uh, crash landed in Ireland and uh, outspilled uh, four guys who started singing. Uh, they developed later aircraft, <laughs> uh, again, all high altitude uh, uh, planes, such as the SR-71 Blackbird. It's a reconnaissance plane that you literally have to get into an astronaut suit to fly because it goes up so high. So you've got this congregation of spies, scientists, engineers, and military men, and they're creating these weirdly shaped aircraft that fly at 60,000 feet uh, when the typical planes of the 1940s through 60s were flying at around 20,000, maybe 30,000 feet. So it's not surprising that there were a lot of uh, spottings of these unusual aircraft. Uh, they were considered uh, UFOs. Uh, it is also an area that uh, was built as a nuclear uh, weapons testing site. And uh, it is an area that, while the government still has not disclosed what it actually has, uh, what's actually going on there, it's generally thought that they do a lot, they spend a lot of time reverse engineering foreign technology. Uh, every year, the President of the United States uh, issues, another, issues a, an order, and this has been done since the Obama years, uh, that uh, highly classifies all the information in Area 51 so that things like Freedom of Information Act requests uh, are, are generally shut down. So the government is covering something up at Area 51, but the likelihood that it is a, a little gray man who is uh, helping us build super weapons that could possibly bring Hitler back from the dead or uh, incinerate Moscow is, uh, is highly unlikely. So that is the uh, mother of American conspiracies, and it's one of the longest enduring conspiracies we've had uh, in, in our folklore. Holmes, any questions? Yeah, I mean, it was a good sign that every time I wrote something down, I was thinking bollocks, which I haven't done for any of the rest of them, to be honest. So. Um, <laughs> We have a high bullshit quotient here. Yeah, it was uh, I, I, literally the Facebook campaign and the people who showed up were there to see them aliens. And uh, I'm afraid they were sadly disappointed. The, there were a lot of T-shirts that were sold there and a lot of alcohol. But, I mean, presumably, if you go to any American Air Force base, you're not going to get in and it will be highly secretive. I imagine British ones as well, to be honest. Well, this one is unusually secretive because the people who work there tend to have a higher security classification. 
Um, you know, I grew up on Air Force bases. You know, you get in, you show your ID or your, you know, family of an officer or somebody, you get to walk around and you might get transferred someplace else. This one, they, they've kept really buttoned up, even by military standards. Hence, it adds fuel to the conspiracy theory. It's probably where Hillary keeps all those dead bodies. <laughs> ah, you're right. They're, uh, they're, they're under a big stack of pentagram emblazoned pizza boxes. And then the, the Stalin thing, which I didn't quite get, but I, the gist of it was he was sending over Soviet children that had their heads made bigger. Teenagers had their heads made bigger. In By the, Nazi scientists. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I thought... Surely most people will be freaked out by the, the appearance of the, the, the flying vehicle. They're not going to get close to see that their heads are slightly bigger than normal, are they? Well, you know, um, if, if it does crash, you want to lend some credence to it. Uh, Stalin was a, uh, he, was, he, was, he was a very, uh, very uh, shrewd uh, uh, propagandist, I guess. And then you, you know, Goebbels talked about the big lie. This was the big-headed lie. Well, just couldn't you just a lot more efficiently go and find a load of weird fucking looking people in West Virginia? <laughs> yeah, but they would have the wrong accents. Okay. Oh, okay. Over here, if they were speaking Russian through an enlarged head, we wouldn't understand what they were saying. And then, does, does this theory evolve from a, particular, a specific person or group, or is it just something that's sort of evolved naturally? It, it evolved organically, but it really got fuel from um, uh, John Lear... Then from uh, Bob Lazar, there was also an investigative reporter um, who worked in a California, uh, I think it was San Diego uh, uh, TV place, who, who propagated this as well. Um, I mean, there were, there were a lot of people who sort of speculated, and it was like we were saying earlier, you know, you throw it out there, and some people are going to take it seriously, and then they're going to propagate it further. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that Anton Deck film which I don't talk about very much, particularly helped on this one. <laughs> Dyer, any questions? Yeah, I'm muted. Um, yeah, it's kind of a fascinating place. It's another one of those, um, it, again, being an aviation geek, it, it just sort of fascinates. But the reality is, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a testing area for projects that people don't know about yet. That's broadly what it comes down to. Everything is kind of, you know, 10 years hence. And it's been used for that for well since, since the 50s as far as i'm aware um but everyone loves a, a, an alien conspiracy there's i mean there's some great there's a couple of great ones lurking around if you um if you care to look up rendlesham forest um in the uk that's that's another classic sort of you know aliens landed here and you know there were military personnel on site shooing everyone away and all the rest of it it's a load of old bollocks but it's just one of those things that's just kind of you know gathered credence over the years for whatever reason probably mostly the internet has your, um, has your dogging been interrupted again i do it, 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 when, when people turn up with armor light rifles it's all a little bit scary you have to you have to pack your rover up and go frankly but um so yeah i think it's it's the alien aspect of it that that really just keeps it going and will continue to do so i don't doubt it, it's one of those things you'll never prove either way so hence an, an absolutely superb watertight conspiracy theory can we can we ask kit if he knows of anything proper that's happened there um so bob lazar um is i i, I absolutely bloody hate bob lazar because he came out with this bollocks thing in 1989 that they discovered element, element 115 there and it was used to power spacecraft 
Um, there is no way you would ever get Moscovium, which is element 115, to power a spacecraft. It's just garbage. It's too unstable. breaks apart in seconds. In terms of sort of actual things that have developed there, um, the one thing that everyone forgets about Roswell is that it is about, uh, uh, as, as we were saying, about 100 miles away from a missile testing range. So it's kind of obvious what's happening there. Um, there are nuclear bombs that were tested there. Um, we do know that um, certain fighters, like the Blackbird, for example, were developed out that way. Um, so the, the Lockheed Skunk Works. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the Lockheed, Lockheed Skunk Works. So, so, they have a missile garden, and if you show them your passport, they let you on the base to go and wander around it. Yeah, and, and down down by Roswell, you know, the, where twice a year you can go out to the Trinity site on the, on White Sands Missile Base and the, Royal, and the uh, US Navy. I was going to say Royal Navy. US Navy will escort you there in their lovely blue uniforms, which is just bizarre. Why, why, why would the Navy wear blue camouflage? That's a conspiracy theory. If they fall in the sea, you can't you see where they're going. And then you can't see them, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of things that have been developed there, but the, the, the alien stuff is just garbage. I saw you shaking your head when I mentioned Lazar uh, vigorously, and uh, I was thinking, okay, there's Kit's got something on him. Can yeah, I just say, in the defense of the alien pro people, that having been to Roswell, there's something seriously not fucking right about everybody in that town. <laughs> now, now, Alex, I never said the word probe, okay? So let's be clear. I'm just telling you now that, like, right down, everyone from, like, the, the gas station attendant to the girl working in the Alien Museum all look at you funny, and there's something... It, they could easily have all bred from an alien, is all That I'm is saying. New Mexico, though. The whole of New Mexico is like that. Uh, we're having road trip New Mexico. I will neither confirm nor deny that statement. <laughs> Any more questions on that one? No, all good, but thank you. Right, let's go to James who didn't quite understand the definition of a conspiracy theory until about an hour before we came on air. Well, no, it's because it started off as a conspiracy theory and then it turned out to be true. But yeah, as soon as you won't let you me do the... You only prepared it like two hours ago. <laughs> no, 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 no. I had, I've been debating all week which one I wanted to use, but as soon as you won't let me use the Nazi Willy Wonka that looked like an Oompa Loompa and all the I rest just, of it. I just love Marcus. It's like, you don't have a job. You've got no excuse. There's literally, you have nothing else to do that and prepare for this podcast. Marcus the fuck is not up. having it. Marcus <laughs> has come all the way home in the car over Chelsea Bridge, had a nightmare, girlfriend has drunk all the tonic and he's still prepared. Take, right. take your so, medicine. Take your medicine and get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So I'm going to do the... Uh, Alex will love this one. It's the Titanic was the Olympic theory. Uh, so to start with this theory, it, it supposedly comes about because of the 20th of September 1911. The, R, the RMS Olympic is coming out of Southampton on her fifth voyage to New York. She's going through the Solent and she's not racing a ship. She's just trying to get out of the Solent. Let's make that clear right now because that annoys me to hell. But she ends up colliding with the HMS Hawk. And that for those writing notes, that is spelt with an E at the end. It is not spelt just H-A-W-K. So anyway, she ends up colliding with HMS Hawk due to reasons out of the Hawk's control, out of her control. But the Olympics severely damaged. There was two compartments flooded. She, her engine was completely wrecked from what i remember she's completely torn to pieces 
So she has to go back to port. I think she ended up getting towed. She has to go then be taken back to Belfast, which is the only port that can, well, the only dry dock that can take her. So it delays the Titanic's launch. Now, during this time, the owners and the builders realise, supposedly, that she's too damaged and they can't get the repair costs back. So they've left with a very weakened ship. So the owner, who's this evil American, because White Star was owned by the Americans at the time, decides to use her in an insurance scam. Swap her with the nearly finished Titanic. Then the plan was to sail her on the maiden voyage of the Titanic, glance an iceberg in the middle of the Atlantic, open the sluices so she sinks in an orderly fashion, and then all the passengers will be transferred to a near White Star Line ship which was waiting. The problem with that, and this is supposedly the mystery ship that was sailing near the Titanic and then sailed away that everyone thought was the Californian. Uh, yeah, this, this, this whole theory just annoys me. The Titanic didn't have as many passengers as they wanted for a maiden voyage, that a lot of first class and second class was empty, that the owner of White Star gave up his seat, um, his cabin, at the last minute, claiming he was ill, and yet a newspaper found him a few days after the sinking with his French mistress in a cafe in Paris. Um, then the someone else gave up the cabin as well at um, Henry Morgan's request, and then obviously ended up, I think, going to Bruce J. Ismay. Also, they claimed like the Titanic was going too fast uh, during the ice all sorts of things, and they even... This conspiracy still carries on to this day, by the way. It boggles my mind. Even after they found the wreckage, because they couldn't find certain things, these people claim, oh, no, it's not the Titanic, it's the Olympic. There was a whole book written on it, which comes from the same sort of books that claim Elvis is alive and working at McDonald's. Um... But what gets me with this theory is that obviously thousands of people would have to know that it's the Olympic and not the Titanic, as Alex had claimed many times. But also from someone that's worked on a cruise line, for example, from a safety record standpoint, no self-respecting cruise line or owner would consider it because at that time the safety record is what most people went off as well as speed it's just mind-boggling how many people still believe it to me it is total and utter bollocks Holmes any questions well, the insurance thing is slightly intriguing but I mean I, I looked this up earlier and apparently the insurance policy for the Titanic wouldn't have been enough to cover the, the total loss of the Olympic either so when did these theories start to originate? Was it immediately afterwards or was it? Um, the It really kicked off around the time the book was released in the early 90s. There was some obviously confusing news reports and obviously it didn't look good that the owner had lied and everything in the early days, but it really did kick off with the book in the 90s and it just went from there really. Despite all the evidence um, and also the mystery ship, um, that is believed to be the fishing freighter Samson now, and which was illegally fishing, and they thought Titanic was a Coast Guard vessel or something along the lines. 
But despite all the evidence proving that this theory didn't exist, even by the time the book came out, yeah, people are just, they like to believe anything. I mean, it's a, it's a long time, 78 years, isn't it? For, for If it's at least 78 years for someone to keep something this big without a word getting out, it's slightly unusual. Yeah. Point, point of information, chair, chairs. Um, I think the Robin Gardner book came out a few years after the uh, Ballard expedition found Titanic, and some of the evidence it cites are serial numbers on bridge instruments, for example, which um, are claimed to have been from Olympic and not Titanic. Of course, the two, but they were sister ships and the kit was interchangeable anyway. So it's, uh, and, and, but Gardner, and and it's interesting also, Gardner's first edition was co-written by Dan Van der Vatter at the time was a very respected naval historian and had written books about Scapa Flow and, uh, SOS Emden and things like that, um, uh, who was who very quickly did a reverse ferret and sort of disowned the whole thing because Gardner just took it and ran with it. And hit the second, the, the succeeding editions got more and more complicated. The, the crockery and stuff on the wreck at the bottom was Titanic branded, wasn't it? It's white oh, yes. It's all interchangeable for white stuff yeah. because as it got older, they'd go and they'd use it on the older ships. Yeah, so- yeah. And there was a documentary recently within the past four years where they've done more dives on the Titanic and they've clearly shown that stuff that was unique to the Titanic was there. It wasn't on the Olympic ever. It wasn't on the, the Britannic either. Also so to enclose the whole of the front of Adek on the Olympic. Mm. The ships are not identical. Ships yes, exactly. Construction work on the Olympic to make it look like the Titanic and then all the Irish people, this is my point from the beginning, that did the construction work and were so braggy about having built the Titanic in Belfast, Which they would have true. to have said absolutely nothing. This is, yeah. with much love, Dorman, the gobbiest nation on earth. You lot love to chat. As a very good friend of mine. As a very good friend of mine once said, um, in his set when he talks about the Titanic as the Irish attitude to it as well it was working fine when it left here <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> no Pope thing and that is for those that aren't aware of it apparently the, the serial number was 390904 which if you put it up backwards in America spells no Pope but I think that's been discredited yes I think it was discredited actually in the um, the book I've got here on the Titanic as well it was discredited but also, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised, James, you didn't bring in the, the fact that there was a, a cursed mummy on board or that mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan planned it. But, I mean, if you only started your research... Well, that's what I was <laughs> saying about J.P. Morgan. It was supposedly him planning it. But at the time as well, he was the evil American owner that had taken over British Cruise Line and Cunard with their big rivals, which were still British-owned, which, ironically, they're now owned by an American company, same as P&O. So, yeah. Are we going to get onto the Lusitania conspiracy now, though, as well? Because Cunard were heavily subsidised by the government, and Lusitania and Mauritania were fitted as armed merchant cruisers. Can I just say, there's a bigger fucking conspiracy than uh, the mummy or the fucking serial number, and that is the fact that there was clearly room for two people on that bit, (laughs) and that Rose was a bit of a cow, because there's a moment when Jack looks at it as if to go, 
Right, I'll just stay here then. <laughs> Have you seen it? Uh, someone's taped it out and done the combinations of how many people you could fit on board that door. Right, are we done with this one? Yeah, I'd say we are. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, there's, there's, there's no further questions. It, it just, it's one of those things that sort of falls into a slightly diff- different category. It's kind of, why bother? no no one benefits from this it's just just mad people making up stories to no particular end it's just yeah we can do better is what you're saying right okay let's try with marcus he's having a really shit night marcus (laughs) standard so uh if we're gonna do best conspiracy theories in like a completely non-competitive way. Surely it's going to be older than that. And I'm quite, I was thought I was surprised that uh, Zach didn't go for this and uh, stumped Alana. But then I realized that Alana spent 40 minutes trying to figure out how to smash a cake into someone's face. So not a big surprise. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> but I'm really not. <laughs> So, uh, we're, I'm going to do uh, the execution of uh, Michael, uh, Marshall Michael Ney. Or was it yes. really Peter Ney? Um, Ney, so, man, thrice Ney. <laughs> so, um, after um, Napoleon's exit, uh, his, one of his right-hand marshals, Marshall Ney, swears allegiance to the Bourbon crown. And he quickly uh, turns coat and goes back down towards the south of France and literally turns coat and uh, rejoins the former emperor. Uh, Because of this, he's one of the uh, people chosen in the end of 1815 to be executed or tried and then executed for treason by the Chamber of Peers in uh, France. Uh, He's um, given a a night's reprieve and he says he doesn't want a priest and he does want a priest and all of his family come in and leave crying. And the next morning he is... uh, driven by horse and cart down to the Luxembourg gardens in this back wall. Um, There he is lined up against a wall and uh, 12 soldiers take aim at him and he gives the orders to fire himself. He says, this is my last order and uh, you will not miss. I fought 100 battles, present soldiers fire. Apparently 11 out of the 12 shots hit him. But what gets strange here is it's reported that he falls forwards rather than backwards. He's not tied to a stake. So you would expect someone who's been shot at least 11 times to be falling backwards from the impact. But there's then an order given to leave his body for about 15 minutes lying in the street. So there's some slight irregularities. Uh, then about, about 30 years later, a school teacher in uh, Carolina in uh, America starts to claim that he is Ney. He calls himself Peter Ney. Uh, Peter was the name of uh, Michael Ney's uh, father. And uh, he starts to claim that he is Ney. Actually, when he hears that Napoleon has killed himself, he attempts to cut his own throat. He does quite a good job of it. And uh, there's a lot of blood lost. Uh, later, uh, he's got this fiery red hair that Michael Ney had. And uh, he carries on his career as a school teacher. And apparently his body is covered in uh, sabre slashes, which would be relatively consistent with uh, Ney, who was the brave led the front line. And on his deathbed, they basically said to Peter Ney, are you Ney? Apparently he props himself up on his elbows, leans forwards and goes, I am Ney, Marshal <laughs> of France. 
and uh, they, they kind of hedge their bets uh, on his death and they put on his uh, gravestone that he was a soldier of France uh, rather than saying he is uh, the marshal. So the conspiracy goes obviously, obviously onto the Freemasons at this point. Uh, Michael Ney uh, was quite senior in, uh, in Freemasonry in uh, post-revolutionary France and uh, staying well in lane, uh, you know, Lockie would be pleased to hear that um, there is a conspiracy theory that links even into the Duke of Wellington here um, because he, the Duke of Wellington did sign up to Freemasonry. They, they wonder, did he uh, send a letter with a secret handshake to his brother? But um, Duke of Wellington basically signed up to Freemasonry and then didn't have the time for it, never turned up again. And later on went, I'm not really interested when they asked to name, name a lodge after him in Ireland. So uh, in case we need to dis, uh, disprove this one, we can. Um, it, it seems he's a bit of an Anastasia character and I've seen some proof uh, saying that this guy was actually Scottish um, and he basically started to believe his own conspiracy theory as he got older. That He started off by saying it for a good rendition down the pub and the more he said that he's nay, the more uh, local celebrity status he got. Um, and there's also some evidence that says out of the 11 shots that hit Ney in 1815, three of them hit him in the forehead. Um, so uh, as well as, you know, he could have had a lead line jacket, uh, he could not survive that. Uh, so Ney could not have escaped by a uh, Napoleonic U-boat to uh, North Carolina. But uh, it, the legend persists and there are some uh, Bonapartists today still believe it. There are elements of truth um, insofar that a lot of Bonaparte supporters did go and set up new colonies in uh, areas around uh, Carolina, uh, the olive groves and vineyards. Uh, but uh, it seems to be that the locals liked the theory and uh, it ended there. Dyer, any questions? Um, not such. It, it's, it's a it's quite an interesting tale. It's not one I've, I've ever heard before. So I'm now just sort of frantically reading through as much as I can find on the internet about it. Um, I think those, it's almost the kind of the rising from the dead thing that just sort of carries this sort of certain mythology about it that people quite like. Um, but no, no phone star, if you don't see him die. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, well, you know, he may still be there. I, it's, it's a fascinating story, but I, but yeah, as, as a conspiracy theory, I'm, I'm not hugely convinced, but, um, but it's certainly one I'd like to read more about. Holmes, any questions? It's, it's more that if you're going to abscond to the US and turn up in North Carolina, I mean, why, why become a teacher? That seems like a really bad choice to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, long summer holidays, I think, was the reason. <laughs> <laughs> They're, all, they're too busy planning lessons and stuff during the summer holidays for what I've read on Twitter this week. But there we go. Um, yeah, no, he was, his body was exhumed twice, wasn't it? Was that to try and work out if he was who he said he was? Uh, yes. Uh, the, the body in America was exhumed. Yeah. Yeah, and they still have the plaque. He says they hedge their bets by saying it's a soldier of Napoleon's army on the plaque. But actually, there's no, there's no evidence that this guy was especially being Scottish, he's more likely to have been in the British army than in the French army. And then how many, how, how alive is this as of a theory today? How embraced is it amongst? Um... Yeah, it's it, wider than I would hope. 
um, as many conspiracy theories go. Um, there are definitely people when they go out there and you talk about like Ney's execution, there's a beautiful painting, which I think is in the Leeds Art Gallery of Ney's execution. Uh, and it shows him face down and there's like some scratchings in the wall and I think maybe the artist was in on it. And people do um, cite that, yeah, but Ney didn't get killed in 1815. He, he escaped to America, didn't he? And you just kind of go, mm -hmm. Wasn't there a large yeah. number of Scottish in the army, like uh, Etienne MacDonald? I thought there were sort of like loyalist Scots from... He wasn't, well, he was uh, not an emigre himself. He was descended from Scottish. Um, okay. He wasn't first generation. Wasn't Napoleon always a bit worried about actually putting him into fight against the British? He was going to hear the bagpipes and, and get drawn <laughs> off to them or something. <laughs> oh, just because he was a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Is it worth making the point as well that the... the, 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 the disappearance of a major figure or, or, the, or the death of a major figure mysterious or not you know you go back into mythology and you've got you know king arthur isn't really dead he's waiting under all the edge um you know uh, uh, and you come forward you, you know just just in the 19th century you've got the disappearance of i think it's alexander the first the czar yes yes um, because he wanted to go and exactly and then in 1876 you have the supposed um Custer survivor story, <laughs> and, and, but, but then you know um, somebody else mentioned Anastasia, you know, which was current, um, yeah, and, and until the rediscovery uh, in a Katharineburg, which again is subject to its own conspiracy theories because it was very convenient. It is said for Yeltsin and then Putin to put the whole story to bed and the well, and, and, and the Russian also, even if you believe it, where there's a couple of odd teeth, but Marie isn't there. Well, it, all of that, all of that, all of that. So, you know, it, 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 the Marshall Nation, again, I'm pleased you've gone for the Marshall Nation because I've, I've been intrigued and loved it ever since I first heard it, God, far too long ago, now when I first started reading about this stuff. Oh, good. Um, it's not yeah. as widely known as obviously some, so I thought it'd be, and I, was, I wanted to stay uh, in lane, as Lockie says, to uh, steer into my own stereotype. So, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was quite a fun one. But there's definitely a theme of, of these people who disappear only to come back as and when, you know, the time is right. I mean, if you yeah. look back to 1986 and Bob Carroll Jesus and Spit the Dog, for example, he's just yeah. fighting his time till England needs him again. Drake, Elvis, Tupac. <laughs> I mean, frankly, if uh, France needed Ney and Britain needed uh, uh, King Arthur, the time's definitely been and gone, I think, by now. But yeah. I would just like to point out that I was in the US when both Biggie and Tupac were shot, and I've never been interviewed by the police. You leave that alone. Tupac is my conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah. I've got a Wikipedia page loaded up already. <laughs> 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 but in the meantime, let's go to. I don't, do you know what? She's been so smug for the last week because she reckons she's got a winner here, Beth. Yeah, I've gone for something that I hadn't even heard of it while I was researching it. I thought I didn't want to do anything too cliched or really out there. So I've gone for something that I'd never heard of. If you've heard of it, I'll be really impressed. But I'm going for the, not just the one, but the multiple conspiracy theories that surround Denver International Airport. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might be nodding knowingly. Yeah. Uh, so there's... To say there's a few conspiracy theories about Denver International Airport, um, to say they've got some is, is, is putting it mildly. Um, since the airport has been, been in, in use since the mid-90s, um, they have 
not only had multiple conspiracy theories said about them, but they live up to the, their own expectations as well. They get along with the hype. So I've made a list and I've typed them all up and I've got them all my notes here. And the, I've picked, four, there's four main conspiracy theories tied into and around the airport, not just in the airport itself, but underneath the airport and the lands around it as well. The first one is that the Freemasons, which as we know, centuries old secret society, has controlled the airport ever since it was opened because of their ties to the New World Order, which as we know, a group of global elites who wield power over international affairs. So there's that one, and that comes from the fact that there's a dedication plaque in the airport at the airport's south entrance, um, with, near to one of the direct lines to the University of Colorado, which contains a time capsule and bears the symbol of the Freemasons, as well as the reference to the New World Airport Commission. Um, these strange markings are then around the airport in obvious places and obscure places as well, um, believed to indicate secret and or alien languages. The second one is artistic clues to the apocalypse. So now this theory, there's quite a few elements to this as well. Um, they have 40 pieces of public art throughout the airport. Um, it's most notable being a colourful 28 foot wide mur mural, um, which is supposed to depict scenes of the apocalypse. Um, the Notre Denver Gargoyle sculptures in the near to the baggage claim areas and a Mustang sculpture is in the Mustang, which is a horse, um, and it's big and blue, so it's called Blucifer. Um, and apparently all of this art tied in together are clues to a sinister influence on the airport, which has been alternately credited with being references to the Illuminati, Freemasons, the New World Order or Nazis as well. That one comes from, you know, the internet has a lot to, to say for, for conspiracy theories, does it not? As we've all said today, um, and it's helped to fan the flame of these conspiracy theories. Um, certain radio hosts as well, who is, so there's one here I've written down called George Newry, who's a TV conspiracy backer. Um, and he, they all point to this, to Nazi or fascist imagery in the murals, um, which are, supposedly images again of the apocalypse the seemingly random and ominous nature of the gargoyles because they are just placed in obscure positions in obscure ways in the um in the baggage claim and also the fact that a portion of the 30 foot 32 foot 9000 pound mustang sculpture which had glowing red eyes which was interpreted again as a reference to the four horsemen of the apocalypse actually fell on and killed its creator it snapped off and fell on and killed him so that is another reason why as well so it must must be something to do with death and the apocalypse the next one is that there are hidden bunkers and aliens underneath the airport so hidden beneath the airports, they've already got an underground baggage system that they move baggage around the airport anyway. But underneath that system is a secret series of bunkers, which is designed to house billionaires and the global political elite in the event of apocalypse, whichever apocalypse that may be. And also, not only will it be kept keeping billionaires and the political elite there, but there are also lizard people who live there and evidence of aliens too. Uh, these lizard people are particularly called reptoids. Um, that comes from the fact that when the contractors who were working on the airport um, s supposedly found evidence of 
hidden tunnels and entrances that they hadn't built. Um, things, the, the baggage system didn't work because it wasn't in the right place where it should have been. Um, and it fueled doubts about the intent and the scale of the construction. Um, and there's an, an alien draw, there are alien drawings. So if you like, you think back to your prehistoric cave drawings, there are these kind of drawings on the walls um, of aliens and apparently footage of lizard people on conspiracy websites. So that's number three. Number four is then um, ties in sort of together with um, the construction of the site with the runways. Um, Denver International Airport is 25 miles away from downtown Denver. And apparently that's considerate enough. But it's, apparently it's far enough away from the city for it to be a problem. There's some reason why it's so far away from, from the city. Um, but apparently the runways has been built to depict a swastika. Um, which if you look at it, it's they're very, very it's it's a very, very crude shape. You've probably got three there's three runways and the way a road is built fits in. Apparently it's a swastika. Um, and this along with other parts of the construction um, show barely concealed symbols of Nazism or fascism. There's also allegedly a tunnel which links the airport to the to NORAD, which is nearly a hundred miles away in Colorado Springs. Um, this is the one that has the most traction, anything to do with the Nazis, because it's the one that airport officials, when they do shy away from answering um these claims which i'll get onto in just a moment because this is one of the ones they do shy away from a little bit it's seen as a sign of the validity of the of the conspiracy theory um one of their their people in charge there one of their operating officers says we do have some subject matter that we either want to we wanted to either just avoid or tread very lightly with some things are worth debunking others aren't so they have all of that but the people who work at the airport have completely got in on this. They just say, there's no, they say here, I've got one Montgomery. Um, he helps again to run the airport. And he said that it translates into hundreds of thousands or mil even millions of dollars in free publicity. And he says, no matter what you do, you lose anyway. You show people the tunnels and explain the symbols, you lose. You clam up and deny it, you lose. So that's why we started to have fun with these, because people are going to believe what they believe, regardless of hard evidence. So what they've done is a variety of things. One of my favourite things that I've done is the, the staff. Quite regularly, camera crews will be at the airport to film, you know, for the History Channel or for whoever is making a programme about the airport. Um, and the staff will they've created their own artistic drawings of these aliens onto the walls they've drawn this alien graffiti onto the walls themselves they switch things on and off as um as the camera crews are there and my absolute favorite one well no i'll come to that in a second my last my second but last one um they made an alien skull which they hid whilst the construction was going on for a new part of the airport, they hid an alien skull that they made so it could be found, um, which is now part of a museum exhibition they've got there about all of these kinds of conspiracies. But the last thing, which is my absolute favourite, is that the airport workers are known to don lizard masks as pranks while the media are on tour, so they're recorded as wearing 
the lizard masks, which all in all, you've got Freemasons, Illuminati, end of the world, Nazis, lizards, aliens, um, secret symbols, secret societies. I think personally that Denver International Airport, because as well they have gone on with this for so long and they've really enjoyed the hype around it, I think this is a cracking conspiracy theory because there's so many of them. I just, I'm listening to it and I just, my only response, yeah, Marcus is applauding you, well done, Beth, is what the actual fuck? Yeah, I just sat, I had so much fun sitting and just reading everything. <laughs> There's so much in I mean, that, I don't even I, know where the layers were. It's, it's just, it's just cracking. I like to think it, it, it sort of stems to the fact that, you know, when, when the project architect was, was awarded the contract, he just sat there and go. I am gonna fuck shit up. <laughs> or, <laughs> is it that there's fucking mountains everywhere might have something to do with where they sit? <laughs> is there a link to Jack the Ripper? That's the only thing that I can think of that you missed. Um, and Lord uh, Lucan, it was definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. how have we not got Jack the Ripper in this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shit. Freemasons, Jack the Ripper. Oh. It's almost conspiracy theory, big. I'm for staying in lane. We, yeah, well, there's we're, too many good ones all, to choose from. We're so. all sworn up Freemasons, so we can't talk about that. Uh. <laughs> one thing that I saw from this, the airport is like one of the, the arguments, as it were, for like people trying to like you've got the conspiracy theorists themselves, and for then like normal rational people saying like, well, if these secret societies have spent hundreds of years trying to keep themselves secret and not tell their secrets to the rest of the world, why are they just going to openly do it in a random airport in the middle of mountains? <laughs> I mean, that's it's it's kind of you know the the, the sort of the, the hideout for billionaires in case of the apocalypse. Like, you go surely you. Go go somewhere with a fucking nice garden, a pool and a wine cellar no, you know, under an airport. Brilliant. Yeah, let's do that. Surely you say that, but those, those big Toblerones, they can last for fucking years. You've got like two <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and all as smart as me and you, Johnny. Yeah, the people in the Rockies are resourceful. Look at the Donner Party. Um, but Beth, uh, that explanation may single-handedly re- revitalize the American air trans, uh, the American Airlines because uh, that's the best uh, advertisement for the Denver airport I think I've ever heard. John, you're talking, about, resource- you're talking about resourcefulness uh, in your like 20-story building that you're on, and you're drinking out of a jam jar. Like, <laughs> oh no, no, no! This is this is a medical specimen. This has been a long time without a bathroom break. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> he then drank from the damn door. Yeah, we drove past that blue uh-huh. actually, and the taxi driver said to us, uh, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's fucking hideous, isn't it?" And we said, "Yeah." He went, "Yeah, there's some karma there, though. It fell on the guy who designed it and killed him," <laughs> which was harsh. Right, let's move. What well, we got two left. I'm expecting big things from both of you. Dorman's shaking his head. All right, then you can go next, Dorman. Oh, man. Tell me you've got some fucking Irish lunacy. Well, I've got the most Irish president of the United States of America. Does that count? Yeah. I mean, there are some fairly controversial ones, um, particularly involving the Irish War of Independence, but I I, I want a career after this, so I decided against those. (laughs) Um, And also, I don't want to land Peter Hart into controversy that's supposed to be aimed at Peter Hart. Um, oh no, that's hilarious when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> the other Peter Hart isn't on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, so um, I've opted for, as Noam Chomsky described it, the 30 seconds of history that has been most examined of all of history, which is the assassination of JFK. 
and the controversy surrounding it. And as one person on Twitter said, what if JFK's head just did that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, possibly. So the facts as we know them are as follows. On the 22nd of November, 1963, John F. Kennedy was shot uh, several times in his motorcade in Dallas, Texas. The alleged assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, was posted on the sixth floor of a nearby book depository and fired a number of shots from a World War II era Carcano 9138 rifle. Oswald himself was shot two days later by nightclub and scumbag owner uh, Jack Ruby, who claimed, among other things, that he did so so Jackie Kennedy wouldn't have to endure the trial. Um, And for, as Chomsky said, this is 30 seconds of history that has been so examined. It's amazing how many holes still exist. And I just thought, for the sake of time, and because I really need to go to the toilet, I'll just go through the people who were probably to blame, or they, people have blamed for this event. So to run down the, some of the smaller ideas, there's often the idea of the second or third gunman, particularly the grassy knoll that was in front of Kennedy's car is often cited based on how the bullets actually entered him and indeed left him. Um, There's also issues raised about Oswald's proficiency, the fact that he used the Carcano, which is known to be a complete piece of shit uh, in the gun world. And then you get into who actually told Oswald or the other people to shoot JFK. So you have the mob. So apparently the mafia were involved. Um, and Oswald was a hitman hired by them. You also have Castro supporters from Cuba who are conspiring with uh, LBJ to assassinate Kennedy. Then you had Cuban Castro haters who were frustrated with Kennedy after the Bay of Pigs incident, among other things, which led to them him being shot. You also had right-wing extremists who, were viewed, who viewed JFK as a communist, you had the Russians. There's a theory that Oswald was a Soviet agent and that the K- but as it turns out, the KGB were actually actively avo- avoided him because they thought he was in the CIA anyway. Uh, people believe that Lyndon Johnson himself organized it, that he uh, told his friend John Colony and his, and his wife to sit in a different car on the other side of the car to keep a clear line of fire. And that alone warrants this investigation and believe that he had orchestrated it himself. There's the CIA, and this one involves drugs, which I guess boosts its conspiracy status. The idea that Oswald had been repeatedly dosed with LSD to brainwash him into doing this act. And it could also explain his superhuman reflexes, landing those shots in such quick succession at such a weird angle through a tree, depending on who you ask. Uh, it wouldn't be a conspiracy theory without mentioning the Masonic Order. Uh, Kennedy was in the process of, I guess, undermining and attacking the Federal Reserve. And apparently there's a lot of Masonic influence there. So... That's another theory. And then, of course, you have aliens, um, which have been blamed for it, which could explain the spontaneous head combustion. Perhaps it was a ray gun of some description. (laughs) Um, From the modern day, the most tinfoil hat moment came in 2016, where Donald Trump said that Ted Cruz's father was a known associate of Lee Harvey Oswald, and that there was a photograph of Rafael Cruz with, and I quote, crazy Lee Harvey having breakfast. Uh, whether or not that is true is skeptical but I think that while the assassination is shrouded in mystery what's more 
interesting from a conspiracy standpoint is probably the Kennedy curse and how this fits into it and how unlucky the Kennedy family has been throughout the ages. For it's even that within his siblings, I think they had a 50% mortality rate um, of a, you know, at an early age. So you had Joe Kennedy, who blew up trying to fly a B-24 full of explosives into a U-boat pen. Um, then you had John, who was shot. You had Bobby, who was shot. And then his sister Kathleen died in a plane crash. So if, and then there's countless other incidents within that family of them being incredibly unlucky as well. Is there anything to this? Open to interpretation. I think that um, Oswald must have been a cracking shot to have landed the shots as he did from that window. Maybe there is another gunman. Um, the who, Oliver Stone? That, yeah. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Oliver Stone film does quite a good job, I think, of um, breaking down one angle. This, it's the, surprising um, considering Kevin Costner's in it and usually, like, history. We watched that film and my wife refused to go to bed till I checked the bathroom. It scared her. <laughs> so, I need to know if there are... The stone was there. <laughs> if they were feds in the bathroom, she, she just needed to know. Noted. Someone... Someone claimed that like someone one of their conspiracies was the granddaddy of conspiracy theories. This is the granddaddy of conspiracy theories. This is you know this dominated the Cold War thereafter and still to this day still has questions about it. So that's my case. This is this much is true. Holmes, any questions? Yeah, have we established whether his motorcade was on the way to the Dallas branch of uh, Comet Ping Pong? <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, he was taking a flight to Denver. <laughs> Do they sell? I'm assuming they sell pizza in Denver. <laughs> did, did the convoy take the wrong direction as well? Considering uh, how World War One started. Well, yeah. What did the Austrians do after Kennedy's assassination? That's what I want to know. Lost their shit. Yeah, shelled Belgrade. It all got it, 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 where. <laughs> actually, what, what I don't know about this, and I'm aware of all the various. Sort of constituent past, but did did Lee Harvey Oswald ever give his reasons for doing what he did? Well, he was shot. No, so he got shot. Didn't have yeah. time. He's, but he was, was, he, was he shot a couple of days later, wasn't he? Two yeah. days. Yeah. So that give, gives him two days to say why he did it, or is that part of the conspiracy? Well, the he was negotiating he was with his book publicist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he claimed he was a patsy for the whole thing, and that uh, you know he, he his role in it has been exaggerated is it not like he would have had to been the best fucking sniper ever to have yeah. got all of those shots off in the time he did and hit what he hit yeah which is why the second gun theory makes a lot more sense or the lsd theory i don't know if that enhances your shooting i don't know if anyone who's done much shooting can testify or done much lsd i'm not the other but i'll let you <laughs> <laughs> um they do use there are a lot of drugs that have been used by the military uh, the German um, tank drivers during the Second World War, during the initial drive through the Sudan, uh, used Prevotin, uh, which is basically an amphetamine. And uh, fighter pilots have also used amphetamines, which also make you highly paranoid and more likely to shoot your own side. But we'll leave that to one, one side. But there's, there's no evidence LSD does any kind of thing like that. Uh, I mean, if you're in a position of power, then you are you know, at risk from assassination attempts. I mean, Thatcher... Archduke Franz Ferdinand, um, <laughs> even the Queen has been subject on occasion, hasn't she? I mean, uh, the Pope. That's why they have the Pope mobile. Yeah. 
Yeah. Princess Anne, who just refused to give in. Legend. She just she just told him to fuck off, didn't she? Just fuck off, like Princess Anne. Or Kitchener, when so apparently he just stared at the guy until he put the gun down again. But JFK yeah, Assassination does give us not only some good films, but it gives us one of the best film quotes from Full Metal Jacket, which is nothing stands in the way of Marine and his rifle. With the Kennedy assassination, we've got Kevin Costner in one film claiming that Oswald did not act alone, and Kevin Costner in another film, Bull Durham, saying, I believe Oswald acted alone. So, so the big question we'll here is, 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 is basically Kevin Costner needs to make his fucking mind up, isn't it? Robin Hood was a mason and went back in time. <laughs> it's, uh, Joe was a dirty, dirty bastard. He, he had... He had his finger in very, very many pies, didn't he? It's um, I, I find that 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 whole period of American history um, from kind of the post-war era with Hoover and the FBI um, and and on to sort of the late sixties and Vietnam is is just incredibly fascinating. The whole um, kind of not fiction; it's sort of you know mixture of fact and fiction that's grown up around it. Um, James Elroy's the American. American tabloid and Cold Six Thousand, Don DeLillo's Libra. It's it's produced some phenomenal literature, which if if you haven't, do so because it's exceptional. Um, so yeah, and and as a conspiracy theory, yeah, absolutely up there with the best. I think. Excellent. Right, we have reached the last one, and I am expecting the usual high standard of batshit craziness from Kit. Are you still in Germany, or have you moved since we started this? I, I'm still in Ulm, yeah. Oh. I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't know, there's not much in Ulm to, uh, not at this time to... He's looking for Marshall Ney's body. <laughs> yeah, I but am, there's nothing that you can Ney. take pictures of right now <laughs> you're in Ulm. It's like Spartacus. Are you in a Masonic Lodge? I am not. I am not. I'm in a travel lodge. <laughs> Um, okay, so here's a genuine history question that ties into my theory. It's open to all of you. Uh, what happened between the 2nd of September and the 14th of September, 1752? Fuck all. Fuck all happened. You're absolutely yeah. correct. Absolutely <laughs> nothing happened. Those dates do not exist. Give us back our 11 days. We moved from the Julian to the Gregorian calendar, so those dates don't exist. Uh, so dates are malleable, and this is what my conspiracy theory is about. The Dark Ages never happened. They were invented by the Pope, two emperors, and the Romanovs. Um, Get there are, the hell there are, out of here. <laughs> there are two theories here um, <laughs> entwined together. The first was proposed by a guy called Herbert Illig, and it's called the Phantom Time Hypothesis. And basically, it goes that the Holy Roman Emperor Otto III, Pope Sylvester II, and the Byzantine Emperor Constantine VII, never mind the fact that they all lived thousands of miles apart, they got together and they wanted to live in the year 1000 AD for some reason. And they were also keen to legitimise Otto's, frankly, bollocks claim to the Holy Roman Empire. So, to legitimise Otto they literally created 297 years of fake history. Everything between 614 AD and 911 AD never happened. It is just fan fiction written by Otto, Sylvester and Constantine. Uh, the evidence for this theory 
is that the architecture in the 10th century is pretty much the same as architecture in the 7th century, which suggests no cultural development whatsoever, and that there are no archaeological finds for that entire 297 years of history. Now, assuming those things are true, which they aren't, um, here's a few events that Otto, Sylvester and Constantine made up. Uh, Charlemagne and the entire Carolinian dynasty, garbage. Uh, the Prophet Muhammad and the conquests of Islam, Charles Martel and the Battle of Tours, nope, never happened. The Tang dynasty of China and its only female empress, the rise of Buddhism in China, the Rurik dynasty of Russia, the fucking Vikings, and indeed the Anglo-Saxon settlement of England. Alfred the Great can get in the bin. Uh, the fall of the Aksumite Empire of Africa, the tracing of the Nazca lines in Peru's Atacama Desert, the Angkor Empire of Cambodia, Iceland, literally the discovery of Iceland, and even the buildings of Cluny Abbey, a pivotal moment in monastic life in Western Europe, which occurred in 910 AD and thus misses out by two fucking months. Newfoundland. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, the real problem with this, obviously, is actually astronomy. Uh, we know that events like Halley's Comet happen on a regular cycle, and the years don't suddenly shift. We also have accurate Roman and Chinese reports of, of eclipses, and we can look back and we walk and work out the dates that those occurred, and they line up perfectly. And that completely torpedoes Illig's thoughts. So a new theory has emerged, and this is led by a Russian mathematician called Anatoly Fomenko. He has written a seven-volume series to fix the problem, which is called New Chronology. Uh, it wasn't just 297 years that were invented, he explains. Oh, no, no, no. On the orders of the Vatican and the Romanovs, everything we are taught before the year 1600 AD is utter bollocks. Why did they do this? Basically for a laugh. That's his, his thing. <laughs> Menko points out that as early as 1606, monks were bitching in documents about how they were forging Roman documents and signatures and records and all that kind of stuff. And if you look at the astronomical records, the thing that torpedoes the previous idea, you'll see that everything very, very neatly aligns. If you fold the Roman Empire into the Middle Ages, squish all the history together, and assume that everything between Julius Caesar and Elizabeth I is pretty much garbage. According to Fomenko, the Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta, that was about 900 years ago. Ancient Egypt only ended in the year 1200, just 15 years before the Magna Carta was signed in England. Um, and the start of Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus, that was in 1140. Now, of course, that's a bit tricky because in 1140 AD, Bethlehem was in the Crusader Kingdom of Jerusalem and ruled by Christians. <laughs> Although, in fairness, Formenko also claims that the real Jerusalem is in fact Moscow, and Jesus was born in Istanbul in the time of Pope Gregory VII. I have no idea who the other six Gregories were worshipping, or indeed why the Catholic and Orthodox churches existed. Um, oh, and all of the things like printing presses, crossbows, knightly armour, all that kind of stuff, yeah, pretty much everything was actually invented and completed by a conquering Russian horde which was erased from history, and all other countries are just trying to claim Mother Russia's brilliance by saying they thought of it first. Now, if you think this sounds fringe, this sounds like a weird corner of the internet, Formenko's new chronology has sold more than one million copies in Russia. It is a genuine attempt to literally rewrite history by claiming that history has already been rewritten. So there you go. Sorry, Viking fans, you're doing it wrong. 
Absolutely brilliant. Do you know what though? Part of me is just thinking in that case, that lunatic Tudor contingent on Twitter <laughs> literally wasting their lives. Yeah, apart from like one year. Die laughing. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all made up. Uh, so, oh God, where do we even start with this, Dyer? Um, yeah, I, I, where do you start? Um, I, I think actually what you do. This, this, this to me proves something. On this call, there are, I think there are 14 of us. There are published authors, notable historians, a group of very intelligent people. If he can make some shit up, let's fucking do it ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Let's knock conspiracy theory together, put it out there, you know, come on. This, this is easy. We have the connections we'll to make it bad. a documentary. Yeah, you yeah, know no. exactly who to sell it to, don't we? This is well, um, probably not the History Channel because you've been mugging them off for the last two and a half hours. Exactly, we need to get in touch with that Turkish fruitcake, don't we? Burak Turner, who does. Oh, it's either one. Oh, mate, I have to block him. I can't. I can't do this crazy anymore. Does the whole, you know, the whole Gallipoli landings thing didn't happen the way it did, and there was actually a big victory there or something? I haven't paid enough attention to him because. Because he's randomly screechy and abusive so quickly, yeah, that's true. But, and, and none of it actually <laughs> makes any grammatical sense, and you just end up blocking him. I, I appreciate the rest of you. Have I managed to avoid this madness? Have I managed I've, to avoid it? I appreciate that I've caused a slight veer off of the uh, topic here. I do, I wish for which I apologise, but but no, I, that's phenomenal. That that's genuinely superb. The, the complete erasure and denial of about X hundred years of history. No, but he, he bases it because off I of, fancied it. He bases it off of something like two newspaper articles published in regional newspapers in Australia, I think it is, <laughs> which claim some great victory. And he's prepared to dismiss every other source of the reams of paperwork that came out of the Gallipoli campaign. All of it goes in the bin because of these two articles. Amazing. But he just periodically crops up on Twitter in pidgin English, accusing yeah. you of uh, being essentially a, a slave to the machine. There's a guy like that on um, on the on the Council for British Archaeology uh, uh, discussion board that goes back years and years and years. Every so often, he pops up and says that the stones at Stonehenge were all uh, placed there by natural ge uh, geological action and then goes into reams and reams of detail about how, how, oh, how, how, God, how this happened. No. Yeah. I remember so I've heard that, but they can never, they can never explain the uh, like kind of dovetail-style joints on top. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, can, can I give you a quick example of how, 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 e how easy and weird this stuff can get? And again, I have to ground it in personal experience because it, it happened because of the Burma Spitfire story. And Basically, one of the key parts of any conspiracy is the cover-up, right? Yes. So there was a cover-up and the documents were suppressed and there are secret files in the British Embassy in Yangon which will only be released when somebody digs up the Spitfires, okay? So that's, that, 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 that's the cover-up. Mountbatten was at the centre of all this. When we did the gig, uh, because Martin Brown, who was the field archaeologist on it, had worked for the Defence Infrastructure Organisation, ah, that's part of the cover-up. Right. So uh, and, and it was actually said on, uh, I think it was Facebook rather than Twitter, 
Oh, no, I beg your pardon. No, it, was the, it, was, it, was, it was the key publications discussion thread on Thinksville um, that there must have been some MI6 involvement to keep the, in, the, in the expedition to keep the cover-up going. And then way after we'd done the, the final research, and I don't know how I've missed this before, but uh, it just cropped up in a document that Mountbatten's aide in 1945, when all this was going on, was a Captain Brockman, which is my second name, my family name. Oh, so God. of course it's a, it's generational now. <laughs> There's actually well, no I, connection. I do think it was nice that Kit got the got the numbers nine eleven into his as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's have free song to this. Oh, what's the emoji thing or the wing thing? Oh, the wingdings thing. Yeah, yeah, that's garbage as well. That's just not true. The the idea that it, if you if you type in. Um, um, I can't remember what the 9-11 is exactly, but it shows two planes crashing into a, into two towers and then there's some uh, Jewish symbols as well, I think. Okay, we have reached the end of our candidates. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, some quality, some we... quality in there tonight. Absolute quality. We knew this one was going to run ridiculously long. Right, so while you two go around the room, uh, I'll go around the room while you two come to your final decision. Let's start with Alina, because we've run out of time, so she's not going to do one. She was only going to read one off Wikipedia anyway, because Zach apparently stole her idea. Alina, which <laughs> one do you go for, Zach's? I wasn't actually going to read it off Wikipedia. I was going to do it off of memory, just so you know. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't want to vote for Zach because he's jackass. Um, <laughs> but I am going to vote for Zach because he's still a jackass. Um, and it is Hitler because it is the best conspiracy theory out there. Sorry, people, but it is. I'd just say that Zach, there's absolutely no fucking remorse there at all. He's just like... He, he doesn't care. Yeah, doesn't he care. does not give a shit. It's just a victory. For him as far as he's Zach, if you could have anyone that wasn't yours, which one would it be? I think it's got to be Beth's. Denver is actually kind of aligned to recreate Nazi symbols and is not in any way laid out and in accordance with the prevailing wind direction because planes don't take off and land into wind or anything. I, I think that's just brilliant. <laughs> to do with Nazis. <laughs> Just make the yeah, make the logical <laughs> leap and then crown it all with a giant blue horse. Uh, Marcus, what about you? I mean, Denver's got to be up there. Um, but oh, sorry, the, the the way that the Nazi escape boys in Brazil, it was that's that's like a classic like JFK. But the jump to Angela Merkel and Obama, like. <laughs> I still don't get Obama link, if anyone can explain that, at, uh, but it's out there. The Trump supporters rave about it, so it's got to be the number one conspiracy theory this week. Excellent. Um, I just I love how many of these Hillary Clinton rants we came into as well. Andy Brockman, if you can't have your own ordeal with the Burma Spitfires, which one do you go for? Well, I would just point out that if the uh, if Gerald had found the Burma Spitfires, we wouldn't have had hunting Hitler in quite the same way as we know and love it now. So there we go. Uh, no, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up, my, my first grown up conspiracy was JFK. And it, it's, it has to be up there. Dem I mean, Denver Airport is just a scream. Uh, I'm really torn about this. And, you know, we, are you, are you allowed to abstain? I, I, I know we, we, we mentioned in the, in, in, in the break the, um, 
what we haven't done here is talk about the grand unified conspiracy theory whereby everything's a conspiracy because these are all fantastic. The Marshall Ney story, again, it's one, one of the first ones I came across and I've loved it ever since I first heard it. So, um... No, get I, off the fence. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> conspiracy theory is a hymn to human creativity, okay? Sometimes it goes horribly wrong. Often it's very entertaining. Tonight's been hugely entertaining. I heard vote for Marshall Ney. That's the other thing about conspiracy theory. Everybody hears what they want to hear. Confirmation <laughs> bias, like Pizzagate. I, I, I'm really, really torn, but I have to go with JFK. Okay, I just I give Marcus extra credit for doing this entirely fueled on Bombay mix and a Magnum. <laughs> <laughs> when all he wanted to get home, eat his dinner, and sit down with a gin and tonic, and he's just fucking no bad. gin and tonic. <laughs> <laughs> Lockie. Yeah, I'm sort of kicking myself for not doing Jack the Ripper, actually. I probably should have done. But um, I did like Denver Airport, but I think I'm going to have to go with the pizza farce of a fiasco because <laughs> just every kind of... I, I think it maybe needs to mature a little bit more. I think given a bit more time, that oh, it, can just, it can just keep going and <laughs> Denver Airport levels of stupidity, I think, for potential as much as anything else. Um, pizza gate takes it. Yeah, oh, I think for me, I'm gonna have to go. I, I'm surprised more people aren't going with kits because I just love that point of his about the fact that what the fuck are the first yeah, six Gregory's doing if <laughs> if Jesus hasn't been born yet? Uh, Charlotte, what about you? Oh, I've I've got to I've got to go with Dorman and JFK because you know without without that momentous event i mean aside from you know, getting rid of some of the kennedys because you know don't fuck with marilyn monroe all the <laughs> programs i enjoy house of cards all of this stuff i i adore anything set in american politics and that that moment i've just seen frank underwood get shot he'll be fine but thanks dorman loved it uh, yeah, Charlotte is coming on at 12 o'clock tomorrow to record a podcast about Marilyn Monroe with us. So she does not give a fuck about the Kennedys. Uh, James? Uh, heading into this, I was actually going to go with uh, Pizzagate because it was one I'd considered as well. But Beth, you just blew my mind with Denver. It's one I'd never heard of before. And the more I listened, the more I just went, yeah, that that. Denver needs something going for it, so it's got to be Denver. <laughs> they do have a very good gin variation supply in Denver. I will give them that. And they have an awesome cat cafe as well. Dorman, if you can't have JFK. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's either Denver or just... You can't... It's got to be the missing years of history. Like that's just insanity. I, I'd heard of it before, but never with that. It's when you point out all the problems, the problems with it, and the fact that it sold how many copies? Did you say over a million copies? Is that because at some point it claims that Putin is God? It probably tied into the cult of Putin, <laughs> but it doesn't. It's not specifically that. But anything that says Russia is great is basically, yeah, kind of linked to it. But Kit, you mentioned earlier on in our group chat about the Holy Grail being the bloodline of Christ in France. And there's a really famous book. The uh, Holy, in, Holy Grail. Yeah, um, that's the one. That so, must have sold more than the, the, at least a million copies, I'm guessing. 
It did, and and that's linked to um, the Holy Blood, the Holy Grail is based on this uh, this other fake book that was inserted into a library in Paris, uh, which was um, called um, uh, Mysteries of the Priory of Zion, I think Zion. it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously it ties into Dan Brown's uh, book about. Uh, it, it tried to claim it was separate, but one of the characters I think is called Lee Teabing, and one of the authors was Lee, and Teabing is an anagram of Bacon, who is the other author of this bloody book. Um, and it's about basically a, a guy in the Pyrenees of uh, of Spain, I think that, uh, that had, there's a secret grave, and Poussin, the uh, the artist, drew it, and it's all linked to the blood and uh, and the Masons and these various people who are in charge. That's all garbage as well. That's all loads and loads of copies. I did consider it, but wiping out 300 years of history is uh, just tipped it for me. There's a whole thing about Dan Brown that really annoys me. Like, actually, you people might get my geekiness on this. So T Bing's meant to be like the ultimate English gents, and he goes on a whole rant about like the two symbols, the triangle and the V, and and he goes on about the more triangles you have, the higher up the rank you are in the military. That's an American rankism. In the British, we've got the V shape. So just <laughs> really annoys me that. Oh, put Jesus stuff aside. You, you all know what the triangles. Stand. Yeah, triangles is like meant to be more dick, and it's yeah. like. <laughs> But he gets it the wrong way around and just undermines the entire movie. Never mind the albino monk flagellating himself. He Not just go on Wikipedia and get something right down. Well, I'm <laughs> suggesting to soldiers out there, you call your sergeant a triple fanny at all. That, that, bad, bad idea. <laughs> I am very vaguely related to a, conspiracy th- a very famous conspiracy theorist. And I think one of the things that came up was that anything to do, any any business, any um, you know multinational that has a circle, a square, or a triangle in their logo is probably linked to UFOs. Yeah. It's like you try oh, making a logo. Got a round logo. <laughs> Actually, no, none of us, none of us went with the, the you know the the ancient aliens, the UFO conspiracy, and it's, it, well, we had Area Fifty One, but we didn't go with the, the wider. And, and if you think about bestsellers, you know the. Um, uh, hotel manager and convicted fraudster Eric Von Daniken has sold millions of books. Oh, uh, yes. Chariots of the Gods, yeah. Chariots of the Gods and the others, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd like to, at this late stage, throw my hat into the ring with the despicable me theory that the pyramid is a giant inflatable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Instant win. Yeah. John, what about you? Pyramid and moon's made of cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At first, I was going to go with the idea that it was the RMS Olympic that sailed into a giant block of frozen Hitler baby juice, uh, <laughs> partly because that's just an all-American story, burning something down to collect the insurance. Uh, uh, yeah. little, uh, fun fact, uh, my grandfather, who was a poor sharecropper, actually did that in the 1930s. So, did he know, get away funny. with it? Uh, yeah, apparently so. Um, my, uh, my dad told me never to tell my mom about that, but, uh, yeah, cause he was an accomplice. Um, but, uh, you know, notwithstanding the seduction of screwing the insurance company, um, uh, I think, uh, Beth has finally given me a, who, who looks very smug, uh, throughout this voting. Um, <laughs> Beth has finally given me another reason to go back to the Denver airport and just hang out and uh, buy a little weed and just walk around and admire the place. So I'm going to go with that. Brilliant. Kit, what about you? I was going to go with, with uh, Denver Airport because I absolutely love the storytelling and I've had Denver the Last Dinosaur, the theme tune to it, stuck in my head 
since then, if you remember that from the 90s. Um, but um, I, I, ooh, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so many good ones. I think I'm going to go for the one that I, I hadn't heard before, which is the Marshall Main story. I just, it hadn't ever occurred to me. Um, and I'd never come across it. So I thought that was fabulous. Really enjoyed it. Boom. Winning for Napoleonic. Beth, what about you? You are looking incredibly smug right now. I'll be what really drunk? annoyed if Holmes and Johnny don't go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, again, so they were all so, so good. I, I've had so much giggles tonight, and we all know I can giggle at the best of times anyway. Um, Especially when you're shoving cake in someone's face. Oh, but most of the people here don't know what happened. We can spare Marcus, though. <laughs> I'm just saying that potentially you went under the two-metre social distancing rule as you thrusted that cupcake into his face <laughs> in a beer garden in South London. I think... Oh, right. Anyway, back to the task in hand. Um, I think I... I have... Oh, I have to go for Zach and Hitler, I think. It's just... It is the conspiracy theory, isn't it? It is... I've the creme de la creme of conspiracy theories. I've desperately been trying to find. I read a a book and it was like you know what like one of these stupid Da Vinci Code spin off things that people like went mad for in the years after the Da Vinci Code. But it was a brilliant one with a paranormal kit where Hitler actually ends up still being alive in like 2010, and it's all to do with like fucking immortality and stuff. And there's just a scene with an axe at the end, and he's in some fucking castle in southern Germany, and it's just basically a mockery of the Hitler is alive uh, camp, and it's brilliant. But I can't remember what it's called. And it might have been by James Becker, but um, yeah, see if you can find it. If, if you ever get a chance on a on a slight serious note, read a book, The Boys from Brazil. It is a fantastic book. It it really is good. It's on like, a similar theme, but I really enjoyed it. There was a seventies film as well. The films are have, films amusing, but yeah, I haven't got around to the film yet. The book is right. Judges. Uh, yeah, we've we've made our decision. I think John is going to tell you the top three in a minute. I mean, the Hitler thing—it's um, been done to death. I don't. Yeah, I, I, we're loathe to encourage any more conspiracy theories about <laughs> the. The Marcus one is it's quite interesting, but the, the end result is a little bit dull and not really as exciting as the, the, the first part of the story, to be honest. Um, Andy, it's a pleasure to have you on and hear about that. And to be honest, I never even considered that to be a conspiracy theory, to be honest. But to get a bit of an insight on that is astonishing. Um, Andy, Charlotte, I like both of those. We like both of those. But they're sort of propaganda rather than... I think when we're looking at conspiracy theory, we sort of we don't want anyone to get hurt. We want it to be fairly widespread and basically based on absolutely nothing. Was I don't think they fit into that. James, you were just outside the top three with the Titanic um, kit. You were. Um, it was astonishingly bonkers, but I don't think it's as widespread as we'd want it to be. With Johnny, I think that leaves three left. It does. It does. Um, so in reverse order. Um, Third, just because it's it's so endearingly bonkers, and I think it's got legs and will just run. And we thought it would, it's got legs; it will just run and run. It's Denver. Excellent. So it, it's 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 on the podium, but but it's it it was up against some, some pretty stiff competition. Um, second, just because again, it's one that has run and run and run, and will, and will always continue to do so. It will never ever be be fully solved. It will never ever be fully dealt with. Is JFK, 
um, it's it's just inspired so much literature, so so much art, so filmmaking, and and it will continue to do so. You know, Oliver Stone's JFK will not be the last word the last word on it in twenty years' time another director will make a film about it. It's just one of those things that will just run and run and run. Um, in first, just purely again on the completely unsolvable and will run and run and run basis. And it includes little people from outer space is area 51 with John. Um, it's just, it's one of those fantastically bonkers things that there is so much evidence against it. There's, there's so much proof that, that completely rebuts it all, but it still rambles on. And the fact that a load of lunatics on Facebook wanted to storm Area 51 to see what was going on, it, it's, it's another one that just has legs and will continue to run and run. Um, and fantastic, all fantastically told, but yeah, um, Area 51 topped it for us. We, we may get a case of dumbing down, Johnny, on this one, but... Uh... I, I it's uh, I've gone we've gone populist it's fine it's all good you're not very popular with me <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get for doing research yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting stuff come on uh, so <laughs> <much> um, history <laughs> brilliant guys thank you so much this has been epic literally we're over three hours now uh next month we will be coming back to do the greatest book in history uh <laughs> fucking Bethany Shakespeare again but I haven't oh. said it has to be a public <laughs> I haven't said it has to be a public book like a novel or a history book and I've left it open for interpretation so there's lots of interesting places you could go with that so join us for that until then um I think Marcus needs to go and line his stomach with something other than fucking bar snacks and uh, <laughs> Alina and Zach are going to fight to the death over who got the Hitler first Join us on Monday when the fabulous Sri Nair will be with us to talk about the Indian Air Force in World War II. I could literally sit and listen to his lovely, happy, passionate voice all day long. He's absolutely brilliant and he tells a great story, so don't miss it. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus and we would really appreciate it as we would love to do so. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.